0: On the first day of Christmas, our podcast gave to you a serial killer in a Santa suit. Mm -hmm. On the second day of Christmas, our podcast gave to you two lesbian lovers and a serial killer in a Santa suit. On the third day of Christmas, our podcast gave to you... Three buxom beauties, two lesbian lovers, and a serial killer in a Santa suit. On the fourth day of Christmas, our podcast gave it to you... Four home invasions, three buxom beauties, two lesbian lovers, and a serial killer in a Santa suit. Mm -hmm. On the fifth day of Christmas, our podcast gave to you five severed penai, four home invasions, three buxom beauties, two lesbian lovers, and a serial killer in a Santa suit. There's more, Troy, but I don't got it in me. Whew. The vocals. I'm giving you live vocals today.
1: Roger writes his own fucking songs for this podcast, people. If that is not enough to give us a five-star rating and join the Patreon, I don't know what it is.
0: I've got musical numbers out the wazoo. They're coming. If
1: that doesn't dethrone Mariah Carey's All I Want for Christmas as the next Christmas classic, nothing will. Nothing will.
0: I am ready to tackle that one. That'll be the next one, I'm telling you. Oh, Troy, let me tell you, I literally, I knew I wanted to do a musical opening today, considering the material, and I sat there and I worked on this all day long, and oh, God, if I would have had time to have done all of the days of Christmas, I fucking would have, but, um, you know, time's short, uh, we only got so many hours left in the day to record this podcast, and I wanted to devote all that time to this title, because it's a title that deserves the time, wouldn't you agree?
1: It is the title that absolutely deserves the time, and there is no better time to talk about this title, as we are ten days now to uh, officially, as we're recording this podcast, we are exactly ten days from Christmas. I
0: know, I know, it's perfect, is it not?
1: Yeah, and you know, we've 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 been keeping with the Christmas and the holiday theme this December here at Dark Knight of the Podcast. We gave you to all a good night. Uh-huh. We gave you the Black Christmas remake. Oh, which you guys have been loving. Yes, I mean. you guys. Thank you so much for your response to the Black Christmas remake. So far, it's been one of our most listened to episodes.
0: All I want for Christmas is that.
1: All I want for you. Christmas is, yes. That, so we we did not expect that, but it really it, it really is becoming one of our most listened to episodes. The feedback has been Great. Uh, even from people who generally don't like our 2 hour plus runtimes have said they uh, really enjoyed that episode. So
0: that's a specific call out, let's just say it. That's a uh, specific yeah, it call is. out.
1: <laughs> he'll know. He'll know who I'm talking about. <laughs> so, yeah, so if you haven't listened to it, go back and listen to it. It's 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 a great episode. We have a lot of fun with
0: that one. But this one, Roger, this one. Oh my god. Oh. This is the one. This is the one for a lot of reasons, Troy. This is this is my pick, uh, pick number two on my behalf for the month of December. And I wanted to just acknowledge this month we chose to kind of keep it simple. We didn't have any guests. We didn't do any crazy, no frills. We're going back to what really works for us for Dark Knight of the Podcast. For the final month of the year to ring out the year, we're ending it on episode 50 just as we hit the new year. And I think that's a big deal. And I really like that we went back to our standard formula.
1: Yeah, I think that's so just the way it worked out so so perfectly to end the 2021 year uh, of Dark Knight of the podcast with episode 50 and guys, it's going to be a good one. It's it's going to be a, a title that you are going to love to hear us talk about. We will reveal it at the end of this episode, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh
0: yeah. Oh, we're revealed. Yeah, at the it.
1: end yeah. of this episode. I'm I'm getting confused now. Yeah, we we're revealed at the end of this episode. Uh but I cannot believe we are fifty episodes into this. Two thousand and twenty-one has been a great year yes, for us. Yes, it has. We have yeah, we've really gotten into the into the swing of releasing episodes pretty much on a weekly basis. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. We have been pretty consistent. Our feedback from fans has been great. We launched a Patreon. Um, we're getting more five star reviews on Apple Podcasts. Oh my so goodness! We are we are excited to just to, to to finish out 2021 and really start 2022 strong with this podcast, guys. We we promise you we are not going away anytime soon. But you just got to keep supporting us, keep letting us know you you love what we're doing. Yeah. We're trying to improve with every episode, and it just it makes us motivated to keep wanting to do this. So, oh yeah, that's all I'm going to say, guys. That's all I'm going to say. And
0: I am going to say, Troy, that I um after we talked about it a little bit um last episode um about how you went back and listened to a few of our early podcasts and you were listening to them in the evolution. And I listen, I ain't tooting our own horn here. I'm just saying that um we I can I can hear how much we've really devoted to amping up the quality of the craftsmanship from the runtime to how much we delve into the material to the overall just fucking audio quality in general. My God, it's embarrassing to go back and listen to some of those, the uh, cloud of midnight. (laughs) Some of those early episodes are just who it's like listening to us, like talking through like, gravel it's it just. It is. and
1: thank god and well, all i can say is thank god they're getting farther and farther away i know but know? god i love it and, and guys if if you if we have if we have fans that are, are new to the show and you you are tr- checking out our older stuff yeah the first maybe i want to say the first six or seven episodes sound quality wise are pretty rough yeah we did not really know what we were doing in terms of recording and so they do sound rough but they progressively get better and i think again i'm just gonna say this we love you guys we, we 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 love hearing your your feedback we love that people are actually uh listening to us and having a great time we're here to entertain you and make you laugh and it's you guys listening to us and us seeing the amount of listens we're getting that really motivates us to improve so mm-hmm. thank you guys for your support as we round out 2021 if you want to throw us even more support as a little xmas gift again Something very simple you could do is go to Apple Podcasts, give us a five-star rating, leave a review. And of course, if you want extra bonus content, exclusive bonus content, there is our Patreon where we are about ready to upload our first December full-length episode, which is going to be over a very uh, controversial film uh, that pairs well with what we're doing next week. and We'll tell you at the end of the episode, but our Patreon is patreon.com slash Podcast. We already have tons of bonus episodes up there for you to dive into. So with that said, Roger, that was a mouthful. You know, I like a mouthful, but I, mm-hmm. I, think, or, or I think it's time to get ready to, to dive into this one because this one is going to really be a blast to talk about. This one's a bagful. It was, <laughs> It was your choice, even though I would have picked this film probably next Christmas time. I'm glad you brought it up. Why don't you introduce it to us and I'm so glad we are we're covering it because it's a film that I personally feel des- deserves a lot more attention and love than it gets.
0: Yeah, man. Yeah. So my reasoning for picking this title uh, there's there's a few reasons. I mean. <sighs> It's all through the house, first off. Let's just get it out on the fucking table. We're doing all through the house today. And I hope a lot of our listeners know this title. I'm expecting that there's a few of you that do not. But that's honestly the big reason I selected it. Um, For the most part, we tend to lean into well-known or mainstream titles... Uh, at least to a certain extent, you know, movies that have been released and gotten some recognition. Uh, We've oftentimes discussed covering some more independent titles, and I think it's easy to shy away from those titles because you worry about listenership and how many people are going to relate to it or know it and thus want to listen to it. But you know what? I want to select this title because I think, A, a lot of the diehards are going to know it, and B, those of you that do not know this title that are fans of Christmas or holiday horror should fucking know, this movie, um, for an array of reasons, as we will, you know, begin to explore. But uh, it's 2015's All Through the House, and it's directed by Todd Nunes, um, who, I've got to say, right off the bat, does a phenomenal job with a very small budget in bringing this slasher universe to life. I mean, this is a low-budget movie. I don't know. I couldn't find the exact budget, but God, do I want to know. But at the end of the day, you can tell this is a very low-budget movie, but they make the most of what they're working with, and they produce something that I find immensely enjoyable.
1: Yes, it very much is a enjoyable holiday, just uh, blood, blood-soaked blood holiday festive freaking film that again fans of holiday horror should should definitely put this on their yearly rotation i gotta say the first time i saw this film roger i was extremely lucky enough to see this film on a big screen in a movie theater oh troy yeah right and it was at a tiny little film festival in peoria illinois called let me think i think it was the drunken zombie film festival was it's not in existence anymore. This was like, I think this was probably in 2016 or 2000, probably 2016 or 17. And I, I went, I, w- I was home visiting my family and I found out about, about this little festival. And there was another film that I really wanted to see that was playing there uh, that starred actually Kaylee Williams, who we worked with on Teacher Shortage. I So I went to this theater and this was one of their feature selections and I watched it and I fucking loved every second of it. To the point where I had to go home, write a review, post it on my, my old blog called FrightMeter.com, sent the director, I know it's kind of stalkery, but sent the director a friend request on Facebook, uh, told him how much I love the film, asked him if he'd be interested in doing an interview for my blog, which he agreed to do. And uh, ever since, then I've just, every year I post about this film, it's just one that has quickly become one of my probably top Definitely top five favorite Christmas slasher flicks.
0: Yeah. Oh, yeah. And understandably so, man. I mean, we're both indie filmmakers. So we appreciate the craft and we respect the craft, especially when it's executed well. And I love nothing more than seeing somebody take a tiny minuscule budget and run with it and produce something exceptional. And I think this movie does just that. Um, You and I both have holiday slashers under our belts. One reason I actually explored this film and looked into it is because, as you know, I did Mother Krampus 2, and I was made aware that there are a lot of similarities between the two films. And I had not seen All Through the House uh, up to this point after I had wrapped filming and seen a cut of Mother Krampus 2. Mother Krampus 2 filmed 2014, 2015. This movie came out in 2015. And let me tell you, when I did see this, this cut, after I showed it to somebody showed a cut of my film to somebody or the film I'm in, it's not my title, but the film I'm in, I showed it to someone and they're like, wow, this is giving me all through the house vibes, looked it up. And I was, I was honestly kind of like shocked and blown away by some of the severe similarities between the two. Um, Just like the the final girl in general, how much she looks like the actress, Caitlin Newberry, the poisoning of the food used to drug the girls, the sequences in the attic, Um, The girl's going to a woman's house to help her decorate, only to find out that she's secretly, like, a villain. The prominent usage of a wheelchair wrapped up in Christmas lights. And then especially the focal antagonist, both of which are these very, like, apparently loving, kind-hearted older women who secretly have, like, a darkness to them. Both played in a similar fashion. Um, I was kind of like, oh my god, this is... Embarrassing, because I mean, like, I I had no idea. I'd never seen this film, but um, that was how it was like brought to my attention, and I immediately realized, oh wow, I really, I'm quite a huge fan of All Through the House. Um, I think it is a better film than Mother Grandpa's too <laughs> to be completely fucking honest. So like, it's a good movie, man.
1: It's a better film than a lot of indie f- slasher flicks that have gotten a lot of attention lately. And I'll 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 touch on one of them that I think this film actually deserves way more attention, <laughs> but um. Yeah, it, I I definitely see the similarities. And actually, though, this was a short film first. I don't know if you knew that.
0: Mm-mm, I do not. Pros, know.
1: The premise, and it's on YouTube. It's a it's Todd Nunes directed, I believe, in two thousand and oh, I don't want to get it wrong. He, he can correct me. But I think it's two thousand and nine, maybe two thousand ten or eleven. Right, right around though. It's a it's a fifteen minute short film version of this feature and it's called here comes Santa Claus. Here comes Santa. Here comes Santa Claus. It's on YouTube. Just look it up. Okay. Uh, it's so, I mean this, this, his, his whole idea for this film was planted in his mind years, years before he actually made this film. The short film was kind of his dabble into getting the idea out and, and seeing what, could, what he could do with a budget. I mean, the short film follows the plot of all through the house, the feature film, pretty Well, a lot of the same themes run through it, except it's 15 minutes long instead of an hour and a half long. Yeah. So I know that he had this idea in his mind and the exact character and the motivations years before it was ever done. But... As you're talking about Mother Krampus too, I guess I never made the connections until you just mentioned it.
0: But now, do you fucking see it?
1: <laughs> I do, I do. Now that you mentioned some of this stuff, and you know, I had I had Mrs. Claus, which was filmed in 2017, and actually the original title was Stirring, which ties into this title, All Through the House, Not a Creature Was Stirring, right? Yeah. Um And then my distributor, Wild Eye, when they changed the title to Mrs. Claus and put it out, they they gave the film the exact same tagline that's on the box art for this film, which is there's a creature stirring. (laughs) So uh, all kinds of little weird connections uh, between the films, but this one, let's get into it because I'm eager
0: to talk about it. Oh yeah, absolutely. This film, the cast is largely indie film or unknown actors to a certain extent. One of the standout names uh, that we're going to recognize, it is starring the do it yourself, plastic surgery queen, Jessica Cameron, um she's been in everything uh low budget including the remake of silent night deadly night she has a small part in that uh so there's another holiday horror tie-in for you um i'm not gonna lie i watch her do-it-yourself videos on youtube all the time because i'm in in awe of her ever-changing face um at this point i don't even believe it's jessica cameron's face anymore i think she stole another woman's face and put it on her but i love her nonetheless i love it i'm worried about all these injections but you know what girl Do you, do you, do you?
1: She she actually has a tie to another one of our teacher shorter actors because she was also the star of the American Guinea Pig um, series, the version Song of Solomon, which also stars the one and only david big man
0: i was waiting for that name oh yes. music to my ears david so we have
1: you know we have connections yeah so there's a connection to uh, to us with with uh, with teacher shortage because obviously you start in teacher shortage i wrote and directed it and david was in it and he worked with jessica cameron all these things coming together oh I love yeah
0: it. yeah aside from jessica um two performers i, I do want to acknowledge uh you have ashley mary Nunes, who is the sister to the director, she does play the lead character of Rachel, whom is very endearing, very likable, very sweet and demure, um, and has a great costume change towards the end of the film. Uh, And also, uh, I want to acknowledge, because I know you're going to want to talk about her a lot, and we will as it progresses, but the real star of the show here, the one that's going to get most of my attention, to be real, uh, is... Melinda Curing, as Mrs. Garrett, I don't think I have seen an indie level performance of this scale. I'm talking like indie like our level, you know we make we make small budget cinema fair. This performance goes so above and beyond my expectations of what I would see from a film of this scale. Uh, this woman deserves all of the awards. I don't know what she won for this. I'm sure she had to have won something. But my God, what a standout performance. She makes this film.
1: Speaking of that, Roger, you know that I, for a long time, ran the Fright Meter Awards, oh, right? Oh, I do. Which we give out, and we ha- we actually had a trophy made. And we've, I mean, we're talking, we've given them out to the Soska sisters. Um, we've given one out to Lee Wannell. um, What's there, um, a whole bunch, uh, Lynn Shea, Tracy Lords. You go to the Fright Meter uh, Facebook group and, or Facebook page, and you can see actually pictures of these actors holding their Fright Meter award trophies. It was a big deal for a while. We had a committee of about 50 people who would uh, select the nominees and, and vote on the winners every year, and we got a lot of attention. And if you go to the uh, Fright Meter page and look, you will see. Melinda Kierig holding her Fright Meter Award that she won for this particular performance. And as
0: she should, as she fucking should, because this gal takes this role and fucking bulldozes everything with it. She just runs with it, and it's it's such a standout performance. Everyone in the movie is great. Everyone is likable. Everyone does a good job, but this woman should be doing larger productions simply based off the scale of her talent based off this performance it's phenomenal it really amplifies the film it kicks it up 30 fucking notches and i mean watch it for her just watch it for her and then watch it for everything else as well yeah. but watch it for her she makes the film
1: oh yeah it's a it's a master class performance she definitely should be doing more she was actually a, she actually starred in the playing virtually the same character she starred in the short film version of okay. this so when he wrote the when he wrote this feature script he absolutely had her in mind for this particular role and i'm glad he did because she is like you said it's it's a phenomenal performance she gives it her all not just like acting wise but towards the end she there's a lot of physicality to her to her performance and she just gives it her all oh yeah i i love it uh but okay so let's get into the film opens up on a small just suburban street with a, a particular house that's all decked out in christmas lights and happens to have a like a a, a chair out front with this santa figure on it right like a, it's a it's supposed to be a holiday decor this santa's horrifying it, it's horrifying <laughs> It's horrifying. I was like, is this Halloween or Christmas? Because this is the most terrifying Santa Claus I've ever seen in my life, and it's sitting next to this like light up, jolly looking snowman. And I'm like, who
0: who designed Who thinks Santa looks like this? I love the dedication. I love the dedication on their part. But whoever put that on their lawn is is welcoming a serial killer to take it. I'm sorry. Like nobody in their right mind is going to look at that and say, wow, that is a fine decoration. That is specifically constructed for somebody to wear and wield while on a murdering spree. I'm sorry.
1: And that's exactly what happens. First of all, the the little neighborhood (laughs) little brats are out front. And of course they're throwing rocks at it, which I I can see why. Like if I'm a little neighborhood kid, I don't want to walk by that fucking thing. Get that fucking mask out of here. I don't want to see that. They throw rocks at it. They knock the mask off. What's underneath the mask isn't much better. It's like this shrunken mannequin head. And the kids take off running, and then we get a a shot of someone, bare feet, wearing overalls, comes into the yard, picks up the mask, puts it on, apparently, and then starts heading towards the house. But not before they pull out of the ground a large pair of garden shears or hedge clippers, which become pretty much this killer's weapon of choice throughout the film. Think Cropsey and The Burning.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And, oh, I mean, other than Cropsey and the Burning, I can't think of a whole lot of killers that wield garden shears. They're not overdone to the point that they're exhausting. So it does make for a fun focal weapon, I will say. But not only that, Roger,
1: it makes, it, it's not a, I don't think, the the weapon makes sense when you learn about what happened to the character.
0: Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, Absolutely.
1: It wasn't just a random like, oh, I don't think the director, Todd Nunes, was just sat around like, oh, let's just use some some hedge clippers. No, there is a distinct reason why. It. it makes perfect sense. That's what I like about this film. This killer is a man on a mission. Well, yeah, everything about the film, the plot actually is very, I wouldn't say elaborate, but very layered. Intentional. Layered and intentional. Yeah. Like it's everything kind of happens for a specific purpose. Nothing is like accidental. So – uh, after the, the the killer pulls out the garden shears, we cut to Jessica Cameron. Her, I guess her character's name is Sheila, even though the character's name is never said. That's the name that it says at the end of the credits. So she sleep, Sheila is sleeping on in her bed with her child. He wakes up and hears a knock on the
0: door, goes out to the living room, and it's Santa in the creepy ass mask. Oh, yes. It, this, the first shot of Santa is one of many in which we see Santa like peeking around a corner or peering around something. Um, he, he comes and goes very often. Uh, and it does create quite a creepy aesthetic for the killer. We've seen quite a lot of killer Santas in our day, especially this month, Tori. You and I have been really delving in to the killer Santa. I gotta say, this specific killer Santa is one of the best of them
1: absolutely absolutely the, the 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 costume the mask the brutality the relentlessness of this killer is yeah it's it's unlike any any killer Sandy you'll probably see uh, maybe you know obviously maybe um billy from silent night deadly night but i think this killer is even more like brutal and and just balls out terrifying Uh, so the kid actually lets the Santa Claus in. Okay. Which I don't know why you would, but he does. Cuts to Jessica or Sheila, Jessica Cameron's character, waking up out of bed. She gets up, goes to the front door. It's wide open. And then she looks, I don't, she doesn't seem too bothered that the front door, her front door is wide open in the middle of the night. Uh, there's, she does see the, um, the, the Santa doll thing in their front yard, like laying on the ground now. And she's like, Oh, those goddamn little brats. Uh, her kid is asleep on the couch. Is he asleep, or do you get the impression he's dead? Is,
0: I mean, I think, oh, okay. I have the, the exact question written here in my notes. Is this child dead? Uh, and honestly, I kind of want him to be dead. <laughs> only because I feel like this Santa. One thing to say about this killer Santa is he is. He's killing everyone. Out. To kill everyone, yeah,
1: he's killing. There is no limit. No, he's killing. He's to... killing dogs, cats, uh, grandma. He's killing right. everyone. Right.
0: So why would he spare this? I child? don't
1: think he would. That's what I. That was my. I'd never even. I've. I've seen this movie probably five times. My viewing this time was the first time I'm like, oh,
0: is this kid dead? But then how the fuck did Sheila, his mother, not know upon touching her child that he was dead? I mean, unless this this killer Santa managed to kill the child in a way that was blood free and Made it completely not at all obvious that he was deceased.
1: He could have choked him to death. I don't know.
0: I guess so. I mean, I because you really don't
1: see the kid. the kid is like covered up. All that's sticking out of him. Yeah. He's covered up. All that's all you see is his head under the, uh, coming up from under the covers. So there could be a stab wound in his stuff. Who knows? I don't know. I, I don't know if he's dead or not. I I thought maybe he was because he, the, the, the the there's no sense of like long time between the time that the kid lets the Santa in versus when she wakes up.
0: You know what I mean? Well, and when she she wakes up, she sits up. She's like, it's not like she just wakes up from a nap. She's like, she like, (laughs) she like gasps. It almost reads like she was like, I want to have a big moment. And they're like, okay, Jessica Cameron, have your moment. Because it's so like, it doesn't tie into anything aside from maybe like a maternal instinct that her child's being murdered. But it doesn't really, the way she played that did not really land for me. I just don't understand how it leads into the next moment. I'm assuming the kid's gotta be dead. I think
1: so because he let Santa in, wouldn't he be like, you know, hanging around the Santa, like bugging the Santa? Hey Santa, where's my present? Because as we find out, Santa's well, very well in the house. And I can't imagine this little kid would be like, "Oh, Santa's in my house. I guess I'm going to go back to sleep on the couch now." No, this little this little fucker would be Santa. Where's my present, Santa? You want some cookies, Santa? My mom's in the bed, Santa, Santa. So I think he fucking scr- scr- str- strangled this little bastard and let him and just left him on the couch. But she comes, he's sleeping. She thinks well, she thinks she, he's sleeping. He, he could be. He's either dead or sleeping. Who knows? And then she goes to take a shower. Can we mention though the the Christmas decor in this in this film?
0: I mean, there's not a single shot there. There there is not Christmas lights, like not a single shot in which there's not some form of Christmas lights involved. Oh, it's, it's everywhere. It's it, it
1: it's and that's what makes this film, I think, that much more effective because it does look like Christmas way more than let's say like To All a Good Night
0: did. Oh my God, To All Good Night. I mean, I'd say it should take lessons from this movie, but To All a Good Night was like 30 years prior, so that's not really fair to say. But To All a Good Night is set in a similar climate, and this movie does a significantly better job of saying, you know what, fuck this weather and fuck this grass and fuck these lush plants. I'm going to make this look like Christmas everywhere. You will need snow.
1: Well, that was his intention. I think the director really wanted this to look as much like Christmas as possible, much like, much like my Christmas film, "Stirring Mrs. Claus." He filmed this in June, okay, in L.A. I believe, and so he had to like deck all of these houses out—not only their interiors but their exteriors—and not just like one house but several houses in, in Christmas decor. Uh, and so I think that's where he succeeded brilliantly is because this really does feel like Christmas, yeah, um, everything about it feels like Christmas, even though, like you said, there's no snow on the ground. the characters are wearing Christmas attire, everything is decked out in Christmas decor, even like right down to like shower curtains being Christmas themed it's it's just such a I don't know an aesthetic that is adds so much to the film in terms of it being a holiday themed film. Oh
0: yeah. They go above and fucking beyond in this. I would, you should see my place. I've, we've got like Garland on the railing and that's it. These fuckers And the walls are strewn with lights, uh, everywhere. You got little dolls and puppetry and all kinds of shit. Wreaths. Like these people are going above and beyond.
1: They, Oh, they did. They, they succeeded. They succeeded. This is probably, we, we said black Christmas. The remake last week, we said that was probably one of the more Christmasy-looking Christmas slasher films out there. I actually think this one has it beat.
0: Mm, I I wouldn't say beat because the I, I'm, I'm, it must be the Midwest in me, but I would say Black Christmas has has the snow. The and, snow. It feels the snow. Cold. Yeah. This this I mean when you say it filmed in June, I can I can see it only because of the it has the oh you look around and it does look lush and warm
1: I mean like yeah no it, there are yeah there are certain scenes where you see like the trees have green leaves on them still and everything I guess I'm more talking from the perspective of like the the holiday decor like virtually every shot every room in every house that they shot in and with this film is decked out in Christmas stuff not only the interior the exterior it's just it's like Christmas just threw up everywhere. um and and it's just a variety of different Christmas decor items, too. It's not just repetitive stuff. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. So I guess I think that's where it, it does have a black Christmas two thousand and six in in my opinion, beat for the Christmas I got you. aesthetic minus the minus the snow, minus the snow. But uh, so the Sheila character goes in to take a shower. Uh, We get the very, you know, typical shower scene and we get to someone coming into the shower and pulling the shower curtain back. And lo and behold, it's her boyfriend. And there is this conversation about basically a, a two minute conversation
0: about him getting his penis happy. This poor fucker, man. The only thing this scene did was make me feel bad about aging. But because it's cruel it's cruel and very relatable to i'm sorry i'm 35 i hate i hate aging and i don't need to be hearing about no guy who can't get his dick up because we all go through it my god this poor fucker all he wants to do is fuck pure supple jessica cameron and i can't even get to work and jessica cameron they're standing there mocking him and taunting him with her with her <laughs> or with her ample breasts who may i state troy in this sequence I'm curious. I feel like it had to be the case that Jessica Cameron stated um, that she would not do topless in this film. Because if you watch it, there is never a nipple from Jessica Cameron. Um, And even down to what's about to transpire, it is very strategically placed that you never actually see her breasts exposed.
1: But yeah, so she tells him that she's not gonna have sex with him until he gets his penis happy. So he's like, "Oh, oh, it's gonna get happy." So what? It, it's like it, it's kind of awkward to hear two grown people talking about getting a penis happy.
0: And then he says he's gonna he's gonna moonwalk on that pussy.
1: <laughs> yeah, most people would <laughs> say, "Hey, get your dick hard, you know, get yeah. him, you know, uh, p- make make him happy." Oh, he's gonna be happy. So he goes into the bedroom and is literally stroking his dick talking to it being like oh yeah come on come on boy get up come on boy get get happy come on while she is in the shower finishing up she goes she shuts she shuts the water off and as she's getting ready to get out the killer santa now pulls the shower curtain back so we get our first like full view of this creepy fucking mask which is like a it's painted like black gold almost uh with the full white beard full white hair he has his garden shears which he proceeds to stab up through her tit Yep. and it comes out of her tit like literally goes through her tit he pulls them out she grabs her tit it's blood squirting everywhere and then he proceeds to jab the garden shears into her eyeballs
0: oh yeah it's pretty gnarly and and that's exactly what i was implying towards in saying that this doesn't technically count as a topless sequence. Or if you, if we happen to have a random straight man listening to this fucking podcast who's looking for boobs, um, you don't really get it. And I'm okay with it. I am I mean, I'm fine with it. I love the fact that the blade goes through her fucking nipple. I mean, it is a gnarly first kill. It's super violent. Um, and yeah, it penetrates right through her boob. I mean, I was like, whoa, this is a pretty stellar... First kill. All things considered, well, and
1: it, it looks pretty. It looks pretty realistic. The shot we get of the uh, shears in her eyeballs. Oh yeah, and I mean it's bloody. It's violent. It, the camera does not shy away. You get you get everything. It, it's very impressive. the The effects in this film are are pretty great.
0: Yeah, there are a couple that um, show. I think the indiness. I mean, there's a specific one where someone's throat gets cut into. That's You, you full on see the seam of the makeup, but like, what are you going to do? I mean, like, this is, this is what we do and we know how this goes. And the fact they pulled this off on the scale that they pulled it off is, I don't know. I mean, I really don't fucking care, but yeah, there are a few makeup effects that, that don't work as well as others, but when they hit, they fucking hit and good Lord, is there a lot of blood?
1: Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So after he kills her he goes into the room where her boyfriend is is getting his dick up and very quickly confronts this guy and proceeds to chop his penis off with the hedge clippers. It takes the it's it's pretty gnarly cuz you hear the clippers like you hear him clip and then this guy's like face goes blank for a minute and it's like he didn't realize what happened to him. And then you get a shot of the penis laying on the floor.
0: Clearly a dildo. (laughs) Yeah. He just get, well, I mean, yeah,
1: I mean I've, you know, but Roger, I've never, I have not seen a film. I don't care if it's a big budget film, an indie film. I have never seen a film yet that effectively has a, like a severed penis shot in it where the penis looks real. I've never seen one. Um, but he whacks it off, penis falls on the floor, and then there's a shot, like a zoom-in shot of this guy realizing what happens, and he lets out this blood-curling scream. And then we just cut to the title card, and then a fucked-up version of Up on the Housetop, as a car driving through this neighborhood with all the houses decked out on with Christmas lights. Which, again, if this was June, then, the, then the, these filmmakers, this crew had to have, like, Went to all these random houses and we're like, "Hey, can we put Christmas lights up outside your house?" I mean, just think of the amount of time and and, and commitment that takes because every house—if I don't know if you pay attention—but every house this car drives by is decked out in, in Christmas. Decor. Oh yeah,
0: the effort put into this film, the amount of effort it shows in every scene. And I think because they did it with, a I'm assuming, a smaller crew and the smaller budget, it just makes it all the more impressive. In a lot of these locations, I mean, in a few of these interiors, when you see some of like the Christmas tree setups with the amount of gifts and everything, that alone is just like, holy shit, the amount of detail. the They paid attention to so much detail, and it just um, it, it elevates the craftsmanship.
1: Well, yeah, and I read that this film, the majority of this film, was shot in seven days. Holy shit! Well, I know. I saw that on IMDb. I don't know if that's true or not. And I'm I'm assuming, but I'm like, wow, wow, wow. Yeah, yeah. Um, but as the car is driving, it, it pulls up to a specific house, and we get our main girl Rachel. Uh, gets out with a present. She's going into her, the, her grandma's house. She does see who we find out is Miss Garrett talking to a police officer. She goes in. Uh, she has a present that's for her mother that she puts under her grandma's Christmas tree. And as she's sitting there, like, kind of contemplating, reminiscing about her mother, because we find out her mother has been basically missing for, for years, the grandma wheels in. And this grandma,
0: let me tell you, this grandma's one feisty old broad, isn't she? Oh, my God. She's got such mo- modern porn star hair, this woman. I mean, you know that this old gal lived hard. She's rode hard. She's put away wet. And now she's, uh, she's seen some shit and now she's just like riding out the last of her days in a wheelchair. But like, she is fight She's always swearing, cussing, but she sure loves her granddaughter and I really like these two. I wish that grandma was... The ride or die throughout the whole film. I would love to have seen way more of the grandma. Um, And I really like Rachel. I think um, the whole backstory and relationship between them that you're introduced to right off the bat makes for a very likable character dynamic.
1: Yeah, I agree. Well, Rachel gets a uh, Christmas card from Miss Garrett who wants her to come over and help decorate her house for Christmas. And I love grandma. It's like, ah, fuck her. (laughs) it's yeah yeah, she's not impressed she has she tells grandma hey i'm gonna go shopping with my friends um so rachel heads out and as she's getting out to her car she sees poor miss garrett struggling with putting a giant santa mannequin i don't i i guess maybe in la santa mannequins are normal decor for your yard but I don't remember seeing a lot of Santa mannequins in yards growing up.
0: Well, and not only that, Troy, but the Santa mannequins that they've procured for this film are fucking nightmare fuel. They're horrifying. Some of them have just white eyes. Like none of them are at all peaceful or joyful <laughs> or they all just look haunting and terrifying. Um, so yeah, whatever. I mean, okay adorn your yard with these fucking creatures of the night do whatever you got to do but mrs garrett's dragging this fucking doll out um <laughs> and she's just incompetent she's incapable of doing it herself no wonder she needs other people to assist her well, i know she's about ready to
1: fall over with it until rachel actually comes up and, and helps her we do get a little bit of backstory that kind of becomes more prevalent as the film goes on Because Rachel, uh, Miss Garrett's like, oh, did you come over to help me decorate? And Rachel's like, oh, well, I actually have to go shopping uh, with some friends. And Miss Garrett's like, hey, you remember Jamie, right? And we find out that Jamie was Mrs. Garrett's daughter. And her and Rachel were the same age. But Jamie never got to go out to play with the other kids because she apparently had some disease.
0: Bowen's disease. It's a skin Bowen's disease. Yeah.
1: So... And then we find out that Jamie was apparently just went missing one day. She was kidnapped. And uh, Miss Garrett's very forthcoming about this, very uh, compassionate towards Rachel because Rachel also lost her mother and and doesn't know what happened to her mom. And Miss Garrett does tell Rachel, hey, you remind me of your mother, which makes Rachel smile. And I think that this was all buttering up Rachel on Mrs. Garrett's part because Rachel does then agree to come over after she's done shopping to help her finish decorating, which Ms. Garrett's very grateful for.
0: You know, right off the fucking bat, from the, the first time you see her on camera, you know Mrs. Garrett has ulterior motives um, and a backstory that will be explained over the course of the film. Her overall appearance, her way of living, it's just a little bit larger than life. One thing I like is that they opted to just hand that bit of information over to the audience right away. They didn't try to masquerade it or mask it and pass her off as somebody who's not troubled or fucked up. I mean, like, this woman is disturbed, as you learn when she starts talking to mannequins within moments of meeting her. Um, but they, I I like that. They're like, you know what? We're going to just dive in head first. This broad is unstable and we need to make sure that the audience is aware of it because I think if they tried to like play it differently and hide it, I don't think it would have been beneficial to the story.
1: No. And it's, it's, it actually does leave the audience still kind of guessing whether she is just kind of this crazy troubled old woman because her daughter went missing or is there something severely wrong with her is she somehow a part of this these these killings because we we obviously know that the killer stanna is not her right so as the story kind of unfolds i think the audience is still kind of trying to guess what the connection is between maybe mrs garrett and the killings if there is one but yeah they they go right into making you know that miss garrett is definitely not playing with a full deck uh, next after Rachel leaves to go shopping we get just a random neighbor lady again if we're doing a calendar Roger Oh you were dressing up as we're we're dressing up as this neighbor lady coming in her flip-flops pajama bottoms and head full of curlers
0: chasing her dog whose name
1: is Sugarball
0: Yeah the who, <laughs> my note is Who the fuck names their dog Sugar Balls? You know if you name your dog fucking Sugar Balls, that dog is going to grow up with a life of torment and mockery. Uh, I think it's cruel that she named her dog Sugar Bowls. This woman obviously is very disassociated from reality based off of her overall apparel. The the volume of curlers in this woman's hair, it is unnecessary. I mean, I don't know if she's in a production of Annie coming up, playing the title role of Annie. But my God, her, her hair is going to look horrible. <laughs>
1: her, her, cur- her curlers reminded me of fucking, what's her name from... Um, the beginning of Friday the 13th Part 3, remember?
0: Oh, my God.
1: Uh, the, the, the girl, that the lady and her husband that own the, uh, the store. Yes. They get killed at the beginning. Yes. This, this young broad that's clearly 18, but they put her in hair and curlers and put her in a muumu to make her look 40. I can't remember her name, but that's who I was thinking of the whole time. But this, this woman in a muumu and curlers chases Sugar Balls because Sugar Balls runs into the backyard of Mrs. Garrett's house. So, of course, this woman goes back there to look for her. She's like, sugar balls, sugar balls, come back here, sugar balls. And all of a sudden, Santa jumps out of nowhere, hacks the broad in the neck with the machete, and then proceeds to take the garden shears and stab them into her head.
0: I, Upon first viewing of this, the first time I saw this, I was like, wow, this is an unnecessary kill. You know, they just killed this random bystander and her dog sugar balls. But one thing I appreciate now, after having seen the movie multiple times, is they make it real fucking clear that ain't nobody safe from this Santa killer. Nobody. The, the, not the dogs, not the cats, not apparently the children, not the extras. The extras sure ain't fucking safe this poor woman whoever extra number four neighbor number seven that just got killed um uh, no one is safe this killer does not discriminate against anyone he's killing all of them he's killing all the neighbors he doesn't care no he's going
1: all through the neighborhood not just all through the house this is going through all through the neighborhood killing anybody he can get his hands on which I do have a slight problem with I do think and we'll get there as we as we continue our talking about the film uh so after this poor woman is hacked in the head with the garden shears we cut back to mrs garrett and this is a crazy uh scene where she is literally having a conversation with a mannequin santa mannequin saying you men are all alike and i haven't forgotten what you did to me i was just a child you passed me around to all those men
0: and we're like oh lord this woman has some problems this bitch is standing up against a fucking mannequin delivering an emotional soliloquy uh, as though she's going out for every fucking award. Like, again, I'm constantly blown away from her, especially when she's acting opposite inanimate objects. <laughs> like, like there are multiple scenes where this woman gives phenomenal performances to things that are not living. And I'm just like, girl, go get that gold. Like, you are fantastic, um, but yeah, it ends up being a dream sequence. Uh, she wakes up and has this moment where she kind of realizes that you you realize that she's very much in her head over what happened, what transpired, what went on with her husband. And they start to kind of spoon feed it to you over the course of the movie. But this is the first time when you listen to her dialogue um, and what she's saying to these mannequins, it is very specific. It's very much tailored to... To give you a full-on experience, I think, of what she went through when she was in her relationship.
1: Well, I mean, she's crazy, obviously, but I'm like, who has all these life-sized mannequins just around their house? But apparently it's Miss Gara. Okay, we can go with that. When she wakes up, she does go talk to a female mannequin that's dressed in this very beautiful dress and is wearing a necklace that says daughter.
0: Not subtle. <laughs>
1: <laughs> no, not subtle at all. We cut we cut back to Rachel picking up who becomes one of the trio of, of friends. This one is Gia with her very beautiful hair. I mean, oh God, if, I thought it was a wig. I was like, is that real hair? I think it is. It's very beautiful. Like, beautiful it's, it's hair. It's gonna be my drag hair when I do drag. Oh, absolutely. Um, They go to a shopping mall. It's kind of a, I I don't want to say it's a montage, but it's a very rushed scene. Probably because they didn't have a lot of time to shoot at the shopping mall. So they're like, we got to get this done. Let's just go. Fuck it. Go, 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 go. Um, So they go to a shopping mall. We meet Sarah, who is the third of the trio of friends that become kind of the prominent focus of the film. She says, oh, I have a surprise for you. She takes her to a surprise. And it's a very nice looking man. Oh Yes. uh, Cody.
0: A strawberry blonde. I love Yes, Which you don't blonde.
1: see very often, Roger. No.
0: I feel like he's a more attractive version of me. He's
1: very well, well I mean, he's <laughs> he is very handsome. Very handsome. Yes. Uh, not utilized very well at all, I must say. No. Um, but he is handsome, so he has that. Uh, Rachel doesn't seem too impressed, so we kind of get this, you know, right away she's like, oh, not into him at all. And then as she leaves. With the two girls, she's like, "Why would you do that?" Um, and uh, there is a another sort of short scene between him and Sarah, him and this uh, Cody and Rachel, where he's like, "Why did you leave me?" You know, you I, you won't answer my calls, but it's never really elaborated on like what
0: specifically happened. It is very vague. He does state at one point that after everything that happened with your mom, you just up and left. But that's really like it. That's all we get. And I could have done with. Maybe like five more minutes of footage with this guy I'm not saying I needed ten more scenes of their character development but apparently they had some kind of really strong bond he comes into play later in the film he becomes like a pivotal part i I could have done with more of this of of just developing him
1: well he even even his but even his appearance later in the film to me is unnecessary and, and just falls there's no purpose to it and we'll get we'll get there but if he's and i just didn't get it cuz my impression was her mom like disappeared when she was a young child. Um and he's like well ever since your mom left you haven't met, but i thought that was when she was a child so you, are you trying to tell me this guy's had an infatuation or like wanted to be with this girl since she was like 6 years old and can't get over it i don't know. Maybe i'm wrong, maybe who knows, but that was the impression i got from Rachel's conversations about her mother. Um so after this we do cut to this random house with a very sexy shirtless Santa. Oh, yes. And his girlfriend. And they're getting ready to, to to partake in some, you know, some little sex play where she wants to strap him to the bed. And he is unsure about it. And she's like, well, we'll, we'll come up with a safe word if you're not comfortable. And the, the safe word they come up with is jingle balls. So not only do we have sugar balls, we have jingle balls now as the safe word. Um, He's a very good looking guy strapped to the bed, shirtless, wearing these little tiny, like short, short Santa shorts. She goes in the kitchen and she right away sees these, the hedge clippers on the counter. And she's like, looks at him and she's like, oh my God, dad. She doesn't seem to. I, okay, so are these the same hedge clippers, or are they just hedge clippers just randomly strewn
0: about this neighborhood? Is what I want to know. I think they're the same. I think it's to imply that he's already in the because house
1: because there's like a couple of scenes where like he's running after people and he just grabs hedge clippers
0: that are embedded in in the ground. He's always got a backup. There's always a backup waiting.
1: He must. <laughs> so she picks him up, sets him on the counter, and there's a, this really. I I do really like this sequence because she's taking stuff out of the counter or out of the refrigerator, right? And she's setting it on the counter and you're getting the camera is is going back and forth between what she's grabbing and what she's setting on the counter next to these garden shears. And you just know that at some point, right, the garden shears are going to be gone. And sure enough, they are. And she's like, what the fuck? And all of a sudden, Santa appears in front of her and proceeds to shove the garden shear blades up through her chin and they Come out of her, the top
0: of her skull. It looks great. It looks yeah, great. It's really cool. um right off the bat, I've gotta acknowledge that it, it appears as though everybody in this fucking neighborhood is getting so much ass. It's insane. Uh everyone's getting laid left and right. People are all in lingerie. Everybody. Everyone is beautiful. I don't know their names though. I don't know anything about them. I'm very jealous of their lifestyle. Uh, it's nothing like mine. Mine is not that sexual or exciting by any means. I don't know. I mean, I, I don't think I'm supposed to know, but I don't know anything about these characters. I don't know who they are. I don't know even where they are in the sense of like, are they neighbors? Are they next door? Or like, how close are they in proximity to everything that's going on centralized? I feel, and you said something earlier, and I think you're going to allude to this too. And I'd really like to get into this now because this, this happens a few times. I feel that this movie falls into a trope of introducing characters simply to be sacrificial lambs. And that time could have been spent a little... It could have been a little wiser. It could have been spent to develop maybe Rachel and her relationships a little more. Um, I love that they want to go all out, balls to the wall, kill everybody. But I could have maybe done without one or two of these random acts of violence just because I think it is... I don't want to say not entertaining. It's absolutely entertaining, but it doesn't really do anything for the story.
1: Absolutely. I would agree with you there. And in fact, I think that it's some t- it, 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 there's certain points where cutting to these random people actually disrupts the pace of the film because there are certain scenes where you're getting some insightful conversations between either the three girls or Rachel and Mrs. Garrett or you know whatever and then all of a sudden it just cuts sharp cut sharp cut not even any like transitions to let you know that we are now in a different house or that we are now in a different area there's no transitions it's just a cut to these just random people now in their bedroom getting ready to have sex it is a little jarring and you are right. We know nothing about these characters. Uh, there is a point coming up with another couple where virtually their dialogue is almost the same back and forth to each other. I don't know if you caught that or not. Uh, so it's like these characters are given no personality, nothing to do except die. And yes, the effects look great. Not saying that at all. Yes, we get the, that this killer is brutal. He's relentless. He's he's going after specific things, obviously. But I think we still could have gotten that without the amount of times that this happens, right?
0: Yeah, it's cinematic, it's visually exciting, but in the sense of storytelling, it you're right, it disrupts the flow. Um, I, I think that if anything, it distracts from what we're supposed to be paying attention to, which is these central characters. Um, but yeah, now overall, they're fun sequences. I'm not going to say they do, I don't enjoy them, but I think it kind of almost cheapens the movie. And this movie really, for being indie, it excels in so many ways. Um, it, it it almost It elevates beyond feeling like an indie. These are the moments that kind of pull me back to that.
1: Yeah. Yes. Yes. Because a lot of times the actors that are portraying these very one dimensional characters aren't very good either. So it also pulls you out of the, 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 the pacing of the film where you have become attached to some of the main characters and the performances are pretty solid. And then you cut to these characters who uh, struggle a little bit with line delivery in a realistic way, but it is what it is. I do like, I mean, the kills are great. The, all the kills, the, the effects are are awesome. I get, I really get what he was going for. You know, this is supposed to be a gore fest. He loves, you know, it's an 80s kind of throwback slasher even. There's so many, so many references and homages to other '80 80s slasher films. Not just Christmas slasher films, but 80s films, period. So I get it. But I do wish maybe omit, if one of these were omitted and we got a little bit more time with like Rachel and the Cody character. So we could have cared about him. Hence, we would have cared what happened to him, right? Um, So after this broad gets the um, hedge clippers through her head, uh, dude is still, and we don't know his name. Literally, I don't know his name. He's strapped to the bed, looking still good. A little like Saw-like sequence where this bear, Santa bear comes riding in on a bike. It reminded me of Saw, you know, with the the guy, the thing, the dummy coming in. What's his name? Jigsaw coming in on the tricycle. The dude is helpless. He's strapped to the bed. All of a sudden, Santa comes in. And right away, I'm like, oh, really? Right away, this guy that's strapped to the bed thinks it's his girlfriend in the Santa costume. I'm like, this thing, this is like Come on, a big, man. burly, six foot four person. Your girlfriend, we just saw her, is about five foot two. And he, he's like talking to this Santa like it's his girlfriend. He's like, ooh, you're getting kinky now, huh? You must want to be on top. Ooh. I'm like... Oh, come on. There is no way you do not know that that's not your fucking girlfriend.
0: This figure is hulking and bloodied and very much like walks with like a stomping, pounding gait. Like there is nothing soft or feminine about this figure, which in some ways there almost should be because if you think about what happens. But that being said, um, yeah, I, it, it really, it was like, are you that fucking stupid? If I saw this fucking massive creature covered in blood he- walking in through my doorway, I would be busting out the bedpost right away.
1: Oh, I'd be yanking. But uh, the thing, the Santa approaches the bed and he, he has his hands behind his back and the, the 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 dude is like, do you have something behind your back for me? And he pulls out the hedge clippers and right away this dude's like, shit, 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 uh, shit, 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 jingle balls, jingle balls. And it's alluded to, he gets his dick chopped off. We don't see it this time. Oh, yeah, we do, actually. Yeah, we this do. is the one mm. where the dick gets chopped off and falls on the floor, and the cat, right? Mm-hmm. The cat yes. comes in and starts licking it.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. It's so... And I'll say this one, I think, looks a little bit better than the first one. I think it's because the way it falls, you see, like, the innards of the dick, and it does actually <laughs> look – like, it looks dick-like, like – not just like rubber. I was like, okay, that's a pretty good effect. Um and I will say I think the only purpose for having these sequences that does make them land a little bit is the connection that oh, okay, well, I guess dicks are getting snipped here. Like it's a it's a theme, sever dicks.
1: Yes, <laughs> and it become it does become it does become explained. It's not just like random. It does become explained, which I like. And right away after this dog is licking the dick it, it cuts to a shot of the girls eating hot dogs, which I thought was kind of funny.
0: I loved it. (laughs) Uh, Yeah.
1: Yeah. 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 This film does have, this film is pretty serious in its tone, but there are little hints of humor thrown in that I actually appreciate, but it's not, I don't think this film is comedic at all, but I'm saying there are little hints. There are little jabs of humor that are thrown in that I think actually are pretty effective. And that's one of them. They're eating hot dogs. This is when Cody confronts Rachel about just leaving him. It's a very basic conversation. We really don't get anything from it, except he's like, oh, you left me because of of the issues with your mom. That's it. Because then it cuts to Miss Garrett's house, where she is having an elaborate dinner around
0: her large dinner table with mannequins. These fuckers are having a good fucking time. She's feeding them. They're dressed up. They're adorned in decor. I mean, like... I don't know what causes this argument, because if I was in their position, I would be sitting happy as a clam. But apparently one of them says something that she does not approve of.
1: (laughs) (laughs) No, she is like, um, what does she say? She's
0: like, you are just trying to pick a fight with oh me. Oh my god, these arguments are so aggressive. And then it cuts back to like the uh, the dead, un- like unblinking eyes of a statue just staring back at her. And their arguments are very aggressive. They're discussing her cooking skills, uh, her husband's criticisms, and how all men are alike. And it's just like, God, woman, who? You're. Ex- she's Girl. exhausting. She's like,
1: you haven't said. You haven't said anything about how I. And look this is tonight. Troy. This is
0: why we're homosexuals. Because there's no way you or I could deal with this nonsense. No, thank you. They, they make <laughs> lithium for that. Uh, but, but no, this woman is batshit. God love her, and she um, she's really affected by what these mannequins are saying. She takes it to heart.
1: <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah yeah yeah. We cut back to the girls in the car. Rachel is basically tells them this is how we get to the point where the girls show up at Mrs. Garrett's house. Rachel says, since you guys pulled that on me and brought Cody to me, you're doing me a favor and you're going to help me with the job tonight.
0: Yeah. It feels like Cody is almost used as a tool just to get the other girls in the house. You know what I mean? Like that seems like it's his purpose. Just that. They get. So she
1: tells him, hey, we're going to go to Miss Garrett's. Miss Garrett. They go to Miss Garrett. Miss Garrett. I'm assuming all of these girls grew up in this neighborhood because Miss Garrett right away knows all the girls' first and last names. And it's like, I remember when you used to play out in the street, and now look at you. And Miss Garrett now is all dressed up in her, her best red holiday dress, and she has
0: a date. Mm, but not a date with a man. No, no, no. No, because she's celibate and content on remaining so. <laughs> but she's very hospitable. I mean, she's offering everything, food and snacks, and she would be very offended if they didn't have a glass of her special holiday
1: eggnog. And she wants them to, and I'm like, how close is this to Christmas? Because she's like, looks very much like it's close to Christmas, like 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 a day or two before Christmas. And... I would think at that point you would not even bother putting up more Christmas decorations, but she's like, I need more Christmas lights put outside and I haven't even decorated the bathrooms yet. So you guys, and I'm like, what's the point? Christmas, it looks like Christmas is tomorrow.
0: You're wasting your time. Can you imagine taking a shit in this woman's bathroom and just like looking <sighs> mannequins everywhere, just uh, watching you? There's probably a, you'd probably have, you would probably have to take a mannequin off the toilet to use it. Absolutely. Or it's like it's in the toilet, like from its waist up, <laughs> it's emerging from oh, the toilet. God. Just with its eyes staring at you, yes. Oh. That's exactly what oh. I want. As Where a- is she getting all of these mannequins? I mean, some some coals had to go at, like liquidation and like shut down or something, because she has procured so many. She
1: must have visited the furniture store from Hide and Go Shriek.
0: Oh my god, well I'm sure that closed immediately following the incident, so. <laughs> yeah. Um, so she takes Rachel to to the to show her where the
1: attic is so she can get the extra Christmas decor. And Rachel recognizes Jamie's bedroom, right? And's is like, isn't that Jamie's room? And Mrs. Garrett's like, yeah, and she sees a doll, and Rachel's like, Isn't that the doll I gave her for Christmas? And they go into Jamie's room and there's a flashback of Jamie, little Jamie, we only see the back of her head looking out the window, as Mrs. Garrett is telling her the other children are naughty and don't want to play with her, and
0: just will laugh at her, yeah, but then you like they look out the window and they see a young Rachel who is just full of light and joy. This child looks so sweet she's holding this massive rag doll waving and jumping, trying to get her attention, and she leaves this doll that she had procured for her um and somehow some way. Mrs. Garrett manages to take that and twist it into a bad thing and basically says that these children are nothing but a bunch of naughty children and they're just going to make fun of her, even though this girl just brought her a gift.
1: Cut back to the present and Rachel thanks Mrs. Garrett about opening up about Jamie and kind of what the situation was, because, I mean, I think it's something that has been on Rachel's mind since she was a kid, and this Jamie went missing around the same time her mother went missing. So it's obviously this this neighborhood and, and this situation has really shaped Rachel's personality, and so I think it does help her to hear Miss Garrett actually confide in her and go into more detail about the situation with Jamie. But Rachel does ask her how Jamie went missing. And Miss Garrett immediately shuts it down and said, well, that's a conversation for another day. And then she leaves the girls.
0: Yeah. When she leaves, uh, Gia, Gia, is it Gia, Gia, Gia? Gia. Is Gia. She immediately um, pulls Rachel over to acknowledge that the windows are bolted shut. Never a good sign in a horror film. I mean, let's be real. Uh, but the windows are bolted shut, and for a reason, I'm sure... And so these girls are already suspecting, like, oh, this woman's a little off, to say the least. But Rachel is sweet and Rachel is kind. And I think Rachel thinks that she's doing the right thing, um, being there to help and support her.
1: And now Sarah launches into she knows what happens to Jamie. And basically she tells a story about how another boy told her that Jamie was snatched from her bed. In the
0: middle of the night, by Krampus. This movie's mid two thousand tens are showing at this point. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, and Krampus obviously is kind of
1: like the the antithesis of Santa. He, instead of like bringing boys and girls gifts for being good, he takes them and kills them for being bad, and that's what happened to Jamie. And then there's some like nice little dialogue back and forth between the girls where she's like, where Gia's like, oh, well, isn't it ironic you lost your virginity to him in high school? (laughs) You know. Now, after this conversation, we cut to a random
0: uh, lesbian couple. Oh my God, Troy. Another random household, first of all. More provocative lingerie right off the bat. But uh, this is, okay. This is not how people really live, at least from what I've, you know, come to learn. But I get that this is like a cinematic universe and things are a little different. But Troy, as a gay man, and you all hear me on this, this is not what lesbians act like. But l- l- lesbians don't wear lingerie. L- okay, these women, not to be stereotypes, but these two gals, they would be truck-driving women, they would be building a massive 3D puzzle, or bathing their dogs, or or covering something wooden that they constructed with a fresh coat of veneer. Uh, (laughs) They would be wearing Birkenstocks, and uh, denim coats, and flannels, and have side shaves on their head. These women, they look right out of a brazzer's porn. I mean, they're beautiful, but I mean, good God, women don't look like this, especially lesbians. And so it's really, I was yanked from reality upon learning that this was their depiction of a lesbian couple. I'm not trying to be an asshole, but mm, it just seemed, it seems so um, forced and unrealistic.
1: Yeah, I mean, it is, it is. It is
0: LA though. I mean, I don't
1: know. I, mean,
0: I know, I know, I get it. And not like they're going to put some rough, hairy women. In they're this not going to have like. They're not going to put
1: Rosie O'Donnell in a lingerie on a bed. That <laughs> nobody I wants know, to see that.
0: It's a straight man's
1: dream sequence. So, like, I get it. <laughs> that that's you know that's not really what that's not really what bothered me about the scene because you know what, whatever. I mean, who knows? There's very there's there's good looking lesbian couples i don't know i'm not that versed on lesbians <laughs> so i mean i have my stereotype you know the the, the burly you know flannel wearing ones but i obviously know that that's a stereotype and <laughs> that there are other types I, that's i i i get what you're saying roger i do uh, I, their their interaction between each other is a little unrealistic too because they 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 basically oh honey are you feeling frisky tonight no, that no lesbian no gay man is gonna ask their partner, Are you feeling frisky? No, they're me?
0: just all I th- can think of is one of us is laying in bed eating a half of a pizza and the other one is having the shits from eating the other <laughs> half of the pizza. And, and that's what the night is that's what it is. It's not sexy at all. But okay, I'll 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 buy it. But you know what my big issue is, aside from this unrealistic depiction <laughs> of this beautiful lesbian couple, is the fact that to me, it feels like their sequences were filmed on two separate days. Like they don't have a single moment on screen together. Like you're going to give me this brief glimpse into this, this couple's life, like lifestyle, these two beautiful women. You're going to like give me a glimpse into their world. Um, And like, there's not even a moment where you see them interact anything like I get it. They're disposable. They're sacrificial lambs, but I don't care. I don't care about these people at all. I I could give two shits about, I mean, stab them in the boobs and yank out their fucking silicone implants, just like a Carmen Electra in Scary Movie. Like, it's almost a joke. You know, like they look so glammed up and gaudy and, and they don't even have any humanity to them. At all. That's my, I think, issue in watching this. When we say there's scenes in this that feel disposable, this one, significantly more than the last one, at least the last one, that dude got his dick chopped off. This one's got a little, like, vibrator joke coming up. But I'm sorry. This, like, it just feels so forced into the film. Yeah, this is the
1: scene I think I would have cut from the film. I don't think it serves a purpose. Um, I, I, don't, I don't particularly think that... Uh, and while they're beautiful, I don't particularly think that they are uh, they deliver their lines in a realistic manner.
0: No, in fact, the um, one on the bed actually very much struggles with depicting fear, I feel.
1: Well, yes, let's get there. Okay, yes, that's another thing. Let's get there. Yeah, I definitely have that note. So as this one of the one of the ladies is laying on the bed in her lingerie and she's reading a book. And I, she does say the line, "Honey, are you feeling frisky tonight?" Because you know, once I start reading,
0: <sighs> okay, it must be a good fucking book.
1: <laughs> I do love the fact that the the novel the novel that she's reading is the Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker, the the, the novelization mm-hmm. of that film. Hey, okay. nice little nod there. Um, but the bed starts shaking. And uh, this girl literally acts like it's nothing but like a minor mis- inconvenience. Like if someone starts shaking my bed, my ass is up and out of yeah. there, right? But she just like acts like it's oh, what is that? Oh no! And then all of a sudden, the the fucking hedge clippers come up through the mattress, right? Yeah. And again, she acts like it's a slight inconvenience. Doesn't really scream. Her girlfriend is in the bathroom. At this point, I would be screaming my fucking head off. She never screams. The hedge clip, the knife comes up again. She finally kind of gets up to to run, finally, and she gets pulled under the bed. She does, not one time does she scream.
0: No, Troy. And that's actually a note I have here in the sense of like my issues with a few of the sequences that do get pretty... There's some good sequences of fear and suspense, some chase moments, but this movie feels surprisingly, like, dry when it comes to the verbal reactions, the screaming, the things that I expect for something to feel real, like, guttural or just raw there's several kill sequences that have absolutely no verbalization whatsoever and this woman i almost wonder like i wonder if they were in an apartment and they're like okay you cannot make any noise we need you to be silent through this sequence because there literally is a sequence where like she's on the bed the shears come through it in front of her face and she like goes like drops her jaw and like covers her mouth like to like hold back a scream and then she just like looks around with her mouth open like flailing her hands and I'd be like scream bitch scream like there was somebody else in the house scream why are you not making a verbal response and it feels so out of place and unnatural um and and I yeah there's there's a lot of issues with this specific sequence I feel
1: yeah, so once once she gets pulled under the bed, we cut to the other one in the shower. Uh, she gets out topless, of course, and as, of course she's dry. She's dry. She's drying off, and of course she says this exact same line to her girlfriend. She calls out, "Honey, are you feeling frisky tonight?" So we get that line twice. By uh, it's just cringy. It's a cringy line to me. I don't know because that's just not something people would say to each other,
0: right? Right, right. So
1: as she leaves the bathroom, she goes out to the bathroom and she does find her girlfriend's body or she sees the girlfriend's body on the bed. Although, again, I think you could be very right that this was just shot in two separate days and the actresses weren't even on set together. I don't know if that's the case, but it could very much could be that way because all we do is see a shot of the, the body on the bed from her perspective. We don't see her like go over to it, run over to it or anything like that. So it could be that was, that's what happened. They didn't, they only had maybe the actresses like each actress for like a day. So they had to film their scene separately. The Santa Claus does come to come to her and she runs and shuts the bathroom door and just proceeds to stand against it. Knowing that this killer is out there with a knife and and a, a weapon. She doesn't try to like go out the window or do anything, she just stands against the door so the killer can shove the shears through the door and s- stab her through the stomach.
0: I mean, it's a great effect. I love it. I love the idea that he just fucking rams it right through her. It, I don't even know if there is a window in this tiny, tiny bathroom. It's a very small bathroom. It just... I... I <laughs> I don't know. I, I feel like these... Yeah, this character, the, the, especially the second one, like, you don't even see her until the one is dead, and she comes out, and she's like, hey, you wanna fuck? Oh! And she sees the fight. like, it's so quick, they're so disposable. These these two are just added to the list of very disposable characters. And you said this earlier, like, I get what he's doing with this, I understand, like, I understand having a high body count. I appreciate having a high body count. I just, I don't know. I I, I think probably just being a member of the LGBTQ community, too, seeing these kinds of tropes gets lazy to me gets kind of exhausting like okay lesbians i get it they're hot but like big old silicone boobies whatever um did not it didn't add to this film which overall a majority of it is a very quality film this didn't really add anything for me but i mean cool effect i did like the blade coming out of her mouth uh you get a cool shot of her laying against the door afterwards with blood everywhere like i mean it's it's a cool it's a cool effect. I get why he did it. Uh, just not necessarily in my taste.
1: Yeah, he does stab once he he stabs her through the head too, and the blade comes out of her mouth. Yeah, and then as when she's dead and laying there, he does kind of shimmy his way into the bathroom and get takes a large pink dildo that's just like laying on their bathroom counter. Yeah,
0: adds it to the adds it to the bag, the sack. <laughs>
1: adds it to the sack. Now we cut back to the girls. And Sarah is bitching about only boring people collect things because they're talking about Miss Garrett's house and her collection of like Christmas decor and stuff like that. And uh, Sarah's like only boring people with nothing better to do, collect something. And then she's like bitching about needing something to drink that's stronger than eggnog. So Rachel suggests that she runs to the stop and shop to get something because it's open for 10 more minutes. So she's like, "Okay, so she leaves. Gia in the meantime sees a dress that the mannequin is wearing, this beautiful red sequined gown that she wants to put on." So she puts on the dress.
0: I mean, first off, I'm I'm going to I'm going to say that it's a nice dress, but it's not exactly what I would call beautiful. I mean, <laughs> It's not, not beautiful enough to convince me to put on this dress that belongs to this woman inside of her home when she's got mannequins everywhere. You <laughs> sure as fuck aren't convincing me to do that. But God, this girl is obsessed with this dress. She's needing photos for Facebook. A lot of requirements from this Gia.
1: Well, it's beautiful to Gia and it fits her long flowing hair perfectly. Rachel goes in the attic and she finds this picture, like this photo, and she takes it downstairs and... And uh, confronts Gia and's like, hey, Gia, look at this picture. Who's in it? And Gia's like, I don't know. And it's come to find out it's a picture of her mother. And next to her mother is Mrs. Garrett, right? Now, earlier in the film, Mrs. Garrett told Rachel that she didn't really know her mother, right? So now Rachel's all freaking out, thinking that Ms. Garrett's lying to her, even though like just because you're standing next to somebody in a picture doesn't necessarily mean you know them, right? it was quite a large picture. You saw the picture. There was a, probably about a good 30 or 40 people in, in the picture all cuddled together. Just it could have been, hey, you line up alphabetically. You don't know. You don't know that, you know. But anyway, she freaks out. She calls her grandma to ask her grandma, did you know Miss Garrett, my mom worked together and they were friends? And grandma's like, that's not something we need to talk about right now. And Rachel hangs up on grandma and they go into, for some reason, she decides to go into Mrs. Garrett's bedroom. And in Miss Garrett's bed is a Santa mannequin laying topless with what appears to have lipstick kiss marks all over it.
0: Oh, there's kisses all over this fucking mannequin. I mean, I guess a girl's got to get her kicks. I guess. So Miss Garrett is obviously tonguing this mannequin? I mean, they fight a lot, but you know what I got to say? When you have passionate arguments with people, The hate sex is great. So I'm sure whatever this mannequin's doing to her, I'm sure they are just fucking going to town. You know Mrs. Garrett is getting it
1: in. Yes, she is. Even though she's claimed she's celibate, I guess. Well, I mean, sex with a mannequin, I guess that's, does that really count as sex? I don't know. We cut back to poor grandma now in her closet trying to get a box down with her cane. The box falls and there's an envelope inside that she starts to open up. But she hears a noise before she can do it. And she wheels herself through the house to investigate. We get a very tr- a trope of a cat jumping through the window as a jump scare. And she's like, oh, you fucking cat. And as she's sitting there... By the window, Santa comes behind her and proceeds to wrap her in Christmas lights, like tie her to her wheelchair in Christmas lights. And she's screaming, fuck alone. Yeah, And he pushes her out of the house in her wheelchair, like right down the sidewalk <laughs> and wheels her off a fucking cliff to the point where we get a shot of her in a wheelchair. Well, obviously, it's a mannequin in a wheelchair <laughs> um,
0: flying off the cliff this shot if I mean if if I can give you all one reason to watch this movie it's this this sequence alone this shot of this woman going over this cliff in this wheelchair is only comparable to the sequence in Mac and me where the child is in the wheelchair and falls off the cliff very similar falls off the cliff into like the ravine um the her hair is like flying but her, her body is just like limp tied to this wheelchair it <laughs> is hilarious but The, I mean, she's screaming like, oh shit, you fucker. Like, she goes out feisty. I love it. I was so mad she died, though. I I was too, because there wasn't, I thought that she would become, she would
1: have a much more prominent part of the plot.
0: Yeah. Well, they set her up to be such a, yeah, I was expecting her to be a pretty meaty character, and she just ended up kind of just being, you know, just another head count. Um, I thought she was maybe going to have a little more impact on Rachel's story, but I mean, whatever. I I can only complain so much. I like the performance. I thought she was fun. The dame had great hair for being so old. I can't get over that porn star hair. But um, yeah. So we lost another one. We lost a good one. We lost.
1: We lost Grandma Abby. Grandma Abby. Now I do like this poor because it, well, I mean it's. Santa goes back into the house at the same time Rachel is leaving a message on in the answering machine that he hears saying that she's at Mrs. Garrett's house. So now he knows to go over there, but there just happens to be their cat. And Santa proceeds to kill Santa kills the cat. Santa's killed dogs, cats. Now, I'm not a big fan of killing animals in films, so it got to be a little, you know, I wasn't too big of a fan of this pushing an old woman off a cliff
0: in a wheelchair. Perfectly fine. And he gave breaking a
1: cat's neck. Yeah. P- breaking a cat's neck. That,
0: that's where you're drawing the line. Yeah. I, I agree. It was just unnecessary, but like, I get it. They're trying to make this guy seem like he's so fucking evil. Like I understand. I'm happy. They didn't show it.
1: Yeah. So back at the house, Rachel tells Gia, because since grandma didn't answer, she's going to go over to check on grandma. Uh, and for Gia to wait till Sarah comes back. So Rachel goes over to the grandma's house and finds the box with the envelope and proceeds to sit down and, and open the envelope. And, but it cuts to Sarah now back from the quick mart. She pulls up at the house. She got a bottle of champagne from a convenience store gas station, apparently. That's uh, so you, can, you know that's going to be good. That's wrapped. Uh, as she's going into the house, she sees Santa peeking around the corner. And she thinks it's one of the girls playing a trick on her. How do these people not know the difference between a six foot four, big old fucking burly man and a five foot three, 120 pound woman?
0: Well, to give this dame a little bit of credit, whereas the guy was tied to the bed and fully saw it like standing within feet in front of him, saw this, you know, hulking figure and still thought it was his girlfriend. In this instance, Sarah turns and sees the glimpse of like the mask disappear around the corner of the house. Different setup, I the, would say. But,
1: but that would be enough for me. Have you seen the mask? Yes, I've seen I'm the mask. I'm not going. I'm not going to chase that thing. I'm going right in the fucking house. There's no way I'm going to go chase a fucking thing that peeked around at the corner, that, in the at a of a dark yard that looks like that. My ass is going in the house. Okay, whatever. But she. Hey, she gla-
0: gleefully goes and chases it. When what happens next? Like, okay, if we're going to draw a line, here's my line. <laughs> I may pursue, and this is, again, why I would die. I may pursue, <laughs> but the moment that fucking mannequin drops, I'm booking. I'm gone. I'm not going to be like, oh, where'd this come from? Ooh, like, I would be around that corner so fucking fast that Santa would have to... Sprint after me in those goddamn fucking boots. Um, because yeah, they, they, uh, this mannequin gets dropped from the, the roof, and she like looks up and she's like, "Oh, where'd this mysterious, horrifying mannequin come from? And then the Santa comes up behind her and starts to basically choke her out. Uh, but Sarah, I'll say this, she may not be the best actress in the world. <laughs> I'm sorry, Sarah, you tried, but girl fights, tooth and nail. She's fighting. I think
1: that. Yeah. The, the, the three girls, all three of them put up a fight. Unlike the kind of wimpy, pointless characters we've gotten up to this point who haven't done shit. Yes. Yeah. Sarah fights. Uh, she does get away. She like beats him with a, what is it? A shovel.
0: Oh, she's beating him with everything she can get her fucking hands on.
1: Well, there's, there's a specific, I think it's either a shovel or like a guard, like one of those big garden hose. She finds that she's beating him with it. Now, the only thing that I have to say about Sarah is the bitch, if you have that, this this thing just tried to kill you, beat it until it's dead. But she hits it a couple times, throws it, throws the shovel down next to it and takes off. Takes off running. Santa is chasing her. And there is a cool shot where she does see the window of the house of Miss Garrett's house and she sees that Gia is at the um, kitchen faucet. So she can see her in the window. So as Santa's approaching, she takes the moment to like dart towards the window to try to get Gia's attention. And like right as she approaches the window, there's this really effective shot of the Santa jumping out from the like the left hand side of the window and tackling her to the ground. At the same second, like Gia turns around and would have noticed it.
0: Yeah, I really love that aspect. Yeah, it's
1: really cool. It's really well done. It's very it's timed very well. Uh, But then Santa proceeds to chop Sarah's fingers off in a very graphic way. Yes, much like the finger chopping scene in the burning with the head shears chops Sarah's fingers off. And then what I can only uh, gather proceeded to gut her with the hedge clippers because we just hear her gurgling and screaming and as Gia is inside oblivious to what's going on.
0: Yeah, I- I'm thinking that these windows have to be fucking like bulletproof or something because this girl is literally beside the house screaming. I-, I said earlier, there are scenes where there is not screaming. This this girl screams and she is screaming at the top of her lungs and somehow Gia manages to not hear it. Um, I mean, she does go outside to explore, but like she doesn't seem like fearful that she heard, I don't know, blood-curdling screams coming from next to the house she's just more kind of like where's my friend Hmm. I, I don't totally understand it i'll also say that sarah's i like sarah's sequence the acting is a little big like when she's getting those fingers chopped off i was like girl rein it in like three notches
1: yeah but it's still a pretty effective like pr- uh practical effect
0: Oh, the hand looks fucking phenomenal. I mean, the makeup, the gore in the sequence is great. And even the sequence of her running up to the window and that tackle looks great. I mean, for a huge majority of the sequence works really well.
1: Yeah, we cut to Cody calling Rachel. Um, She says she can't talk because she can't trust anybody anymore. And he's like, well, you can trust me. And she tells him she found these letters. Basically, the letters were from Mr. Garrett, Mrs. Garrett's husband, and they were to her mother. So it is revealed that Mr. Garrett was having an affair with Rachel's mother. Don't 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 wonder where that's going to go. <laughs> yeah. Gia, Gia goes outside. Yeah. Gia goes outside to look for Sarah. And as she's standing there, there is a shot of, we, we see clearly Santa sneaking into the house. Okay. And so she goes back into the house to have some wine. She's on the couch and there is this really cool shot of like Santa like rising from the floor almost like Michael Myers framed behind her, like hulking up from the floor and just like overtaking the the um the frame until he's behind her. We do get basically, we get it. We get a pretty,
0: I would say a pretty um lengthy little chase scene between Gia and Santa before even the chase scene, though, I really want to gives some acknowledgement to the first pursuit sequence before she's aware of his presence. There is this kind of long, ongoing, drawn-out moment of Gia wandering through the house, completely oblivious to the fact that Santa is in the house. Um, it gives me some strangers vibes. You know, it gives me that kind of feel. She she never sees him throughout this whole pursuit She's going up the stairs. She's looking through all the rooms. But you always see him in the shadows. You see him soft focus the whole time. You, as the viewer, are constantly aware of his presence. And it's so well-handled. Um, you see a bit of it in the trailers, and really understandably so, because it makes him look very intimidating. And he's just always looming, and she just never picks up on it. It's not until he goes in and starts to strangle her from the shadows that she is alerted of him. You know, she, she doesn't know until he actually makes the move to attack her. Um, And luckily she, you know, fights back. She does. Gia does fight and struggle. And though she makes a few weird choices, she puts up a pretty good fight.
1: Yeah. And Santa just, he's, he's popping out of everywhere because she tries to get out of the, out of the window And he pops up in the window and then she runs out of that room. And as she's running, he pops up on the staircase and grabs her by the hair there. Uh, She goes into like, I think the garage and as she opens the door, she trips and apparently sprains her ankle or something because she can't get up and walk anymore. And he catches up with her uh, and stands in front of her as she's on the ground and uses his head shear, his head head clippers, garden shears to cut her throat. Like, chop her throat with them.
0: This is the makeup effect that I mentioned earlier that really like you really see the makeup aspect of it.
1: I think, yeah, I think what sells it though is her, her performance.
0: Yeah, no, it's a great sequence. It, it is it a does great make sequence. It. I'm not going to, and I'm not going to even use that against it in a negative light because you know what, how many films have I been in where that's been a fucking thing where you see the makeup. Sometimes you just see the makeup because we're doing it on a shoestring budget but this is still a phenomenal sequence and it's a very bloody sequence and it is a violent sequence. And the lead up, the build up, this nice chase scene that she has and the the, the fact that you do see her struggle, you do see her fight. I honestly thought that she was going to make it a little longer just because of the, the type of... The character just seemed to have really had so much focus on this drawn out chase that I thought she was going to kind of reemerge I was actually disappointed to see her go. Not that it wasn't a good addition to the headcount or a worthy death scene, but I just thought she kind of earned her place as a prominent character that I thought she'd make it a little longer. Does that make sense?
1: Yeah, no, yeah, it is one of the standout, I would say standout chasings of the film. So you do think maybe she's going to make it a little bit longer. Maybe Rachel will come in kind of at the last minute and, and, and give her and save her at least for a little bit. But no, she's dispatched. Uh, Rachel returns to Mrs. Garrett's house. Now the lights are out. Nobody's there. Uh, she does just randomly pick up the mug of eggnog and takes a sip of it. Not knowing whose it is. I don't know if that's something she poured before she left, but I'm like, I'm not going to pick up some random mug and take a drink out of it. But she does. Nobody's answering her. So she calls Gia's cell phone and it rings from the staircase So like right away, she realizes that something is wrong. At the same time, Cody calls her um, and she tells him that, hey, something's not right. I just found Gia's cell phone. She wouldn't leave it. And he's like, listen, I just looked up Mr. Garrett on the Internet and found out that he's been in an asylum for the last 15 years. And, you know, she starts to put maybe two and two together and remembers that she saw Mrs. Garrett speaking to that police officer. Earlier when she pulled up and is like, maybe something, maybe he escaped. Maybe something's going on with that. She also finds a key, right? And she uses the key. There's like this mysterious door throughout the film that's locked that they want to get the key to. So she automatically thinks that this is the key to this door. And it is apparently because she unlocks it and goes in. And I think it's, is it the basement? seems like the basement. I don't know. It's like a crawl space. But it's huge. It goes like there's stairs and she goes down and it's like this huge room and it's full of... Like mannequins and.
0: Oh, you know, I was thinking of Troy. I was thinking of that little thing that she puts Cody. Oh, yeah. No, you're right. You're right. It is the basement. Yeah.
1: So she goes in and yeah, it's dolls, mannequins, handmade signs that say like, girls are pretty. Girls love mommy.
0: A cage. A a tray with scissors and string very prominently placed.
1: A cage that says time out on it with a mannequin inside of it. And as she's, like, looking around, she turns and just, like, Miss Garrett's right in front of her. Kind of a nice little jump scare. Yeah, definitely. And the lights come on. And and Rachel's like, oh, my God, who who turned on the lights? And Miss Garrett is very forthcoming and says, it's Jamie. Jamie has come home. And, I mean, out of nowhere, we get basically what happened to Jamie, right?
0: Yeah, Mrs. Garrett launches into quite a tale. She just straight up informs Rachel that Jamie was born a boy and that her hate for perverted, womanizing men caused her to, quote, unquote, fix the little problem. Um, She states that removing it was as simple as taking off a little wart that made my skin crawl um and then she admits that she framed it all on her husband convinced everyone that he's the one that did it he was to blame and now jamie's home and wants her to fix him fix her fix him fix him he is technically born a boy so fix him yeah
1: it's a boy i don't think jamie the i don't think this killer identifies as a female at all right right but the mother yeah the mother she got she took the baby home from the hospital took it in the basement cut its penis off uh five years later though she does talk about her husband finding out what jamie really was and he tries to kill her or him Jamie she tries to kill Jamie. She calls the police and when the police shows up then she's able to blame the the mutilation on her husband that's why he's in the asylum but Jamie then also gets put into an asylum uh because of the probably the trauma that this caused m- Jamie. Rachel in the meantime is starting to get like real loopy because uh, we're assuming it's from the eggnog, right? And she for a second there thinks Mrs. Garrett's her yeah. mother. She's like, I love you, mommy. I don't want to leave you. Until Mrs. Garrett grabs these scissors and Rachel's quickly kind of knocked back into reality and is like, get away from me. Get away from me. I want to I leave. And she runs and she runs into uh, like this uh, curtain on the wall and pulls it back and like, there's granny. So Santa w- walked down to the bottom of the cliff and got granny and brought her bod- bod- body back up.
0: Oh, Santa's been a busy bee between killing everybody in this fucking neighborhood. And let me, let's be clear, Santa dispatches a lot of people on camera, but by the end of the movie, you come to find there has to have been significantly more based off of what he presents. Um, he, this Santa is working overtime. So the fact that the Santa also managed to present these bodies in such elaborate ways, I mean, I'm blown away. This guy's very capable.
1: Yeah, he got Granny hanging on the wall. He got Gia's dead body propped up next to Granny. So Rachel asks Miss Garrett what she did to her mother. What did you do to my mother? And Miss Garrett says, your mother was a whore who tried to take my husband. So I buried the bitch in the backyard in my garden.
0: (laughs) And with that, Rachel passes out.
1: Yeah, she passes out. (laughs)
0: <laughs> like what a good note to go out on. But yeah, she's knocked Your out. Your mother's
1: buried in the garden. She knocked out. Um she wakes up tied inside a closet now
0: wearing this beautiful fancy powder blue party dress. Oh, my God, let's talk about this dress. This dress is very flattering. It looks very lovely on Rachel, who is... Rachel is a lovely girl, but this whole movie, Rachel's been wearing this very frumpy hat that just simply does her no justice. I'm sorry. It is not a good look, this hat. I don't think it would be good on anybody. It's just, Again, the, er, the mid-2010s are showing with this hat, but the moment you get her in this powder blue party dress, I mean, all eyes on her. Her boobies are pushed up and cleavagey and very... Presented to the audience. I mean, she's looking great. However, her shoes do not match her dress, and I don't like them.
1: (laughs) Well, I'm sure that that was the last of her worries at this point because as she's tied to the closet, Jamie comes in with his hedge clippers, and he is like slinking in, making these cool body movements. He has the hedge clipper, and he's he's like chopping them towards her. And then he does this like. He does this like penis thrust motion with him where he puts him towards his crotch and like thrusting him like a penis. <laughs>
0: oh, it's like a pelvic thrust. Very yeah. much
1: like Leatherface did in the Texas Chainsaw Part 2, you know, before, when he was going after Carolyn Williams. He's able to get to the door before or she, he gets to the door, but she's able to close it before he gets to her. And he's like shoving the blade of the garden shears through the door. And all of a sudden you hear him like grunt. And uh, Cody Closet door opens and it's Cody. Oh, thank God! Handsome Cody, handsome Cody. I want to know how he got in the house because we just saw shots of the latching all of the locks on the doors, but Cody got in. And bless Cody's. I like Cody. It's just there's no point of him being here. Can we just say that he does nothing?
0: Cody is—he's just a plot device. He doesn't he do- have any humanity to him. He
1: doesn't even like do anything. You know what I mean? Like, okay, okay, yeah, no. he saved Rachel right now, but did he really? I mean, she probably could have handled herself because once he's—he doesn't even get her untied. Like, he can't even untie her properly. She still has one o- one arm tied to this fucking strap when the cl- cl- Santa grabs her. Grabs Cody. They they have a kind of a fight back and forth, but then Santa Jamie Santa Santa Jamie is able to beat the shit out of Cody, knocks him down. Not only
0: that, but grabs his leg and fucking snaps his leg. Oh my god, it's so grotesque. You like see like it's got to be the kneecap too, because the way he like angles it. But oh my, you hear like the crunch, and Cody just like howls in pain. But somehow, some way, even though Santa. Jamie has killed or not killed, but broken his leg. Um, Apparently Cody is able to like overcome Santa Jamie and uh, surprises Rachel when he climbs out from over the bed and they start to waddle away. And she's like, here, go into this crawl space. Let me put you in here. Hide. I'm going to come back for you, which, you know, never is a promising thing to say to somebody.
1: Yeah. And as, as Rachel is, kind of uh, hiding under the bed because she hears Santa Jamie coming as she's getting out of the bed. You, you see him walking around. She thinks he leaves. Of course he, they never leave. Like they're always on top of the bed because as she comes out of the bed, he grabs her, um, pulls her out. And she has, a,
0: it's a cool little sequence though. I like it. She has a great scream. Yeah. Well, I like how she's she's started to pull herself out from under the bed she thinks he leaves the room like she hears the door shut so she starts up like slowly pull herself out facing upwards and as she's like dragging herself out on her back the mass just drops down it's a pretty effective moment i even i had seen it before and i still jumped when i revisited it so i i like it it's simple we've seen it a million times someone's under the bed the killer's stalking around him boo good scare moment it works though
1: i do like this one little second where he where she actually kicks him
0: in the nuts Oh, I love it. And he looks at her like, huh, really? Yeah, yeah. Uh, At least Rachel's another fighter, though. I mean, she thinks fast to defend herself. She gets a nice little chase sequence here. Uh, She runs uh, up to the window, and she goes to climb out. He starts to grab at her, and she struggles and jumps out the window, and she fucking just takes off running. And, of course, we see Santa Jamie grab his classic shears. Uh, and, they, yeah, it launches into this nice little chase sequence. This is one area where I think you see the limitation show a little bit because, mm-hmm. I mean, honestly, these chases only go – they take place like around the yard of the house. They don't, like, expand anywhere. They always come back to the same point. I think they were pretty limited in, like, where they were able to film, I'm guessing, based off the weather, you know? Oh, Yeah, um, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. It, it is pretty limited, yeah. It's the same wooded it's the same like little
1: wooded area that all the characters are chased through that lead back to the house. but no she jumps out of the window. not only does she jump out of the window, Santa jumps after her. so yeah, so she runs back as she's running she does see the the killer Santa Santa Jamie so she has really no choice to run back into the house to Miss Garrett's house to hide from him and like she's kind of slowly looking around when all of a sudden Miss Garrett comes behind her with a plastic bag, puts it over her head
0: very, very, very Black Christmas, which, of course, we approve of. A nice little hat tip. And it's a brief moment, so it's not, like, overly indulgent. It's just enough of it. But after the bag, I mean, this launches into a phenomenal catfight. If there's one thing I, as a gay man, love seeing, it's a young, busty woman basically boxing an elderly woman with balls to the walls. I mean, like, these two are just go into fucking town. They're using anything and everything to fight each other. Mannequin arms and their fists, Santa statues. Like there are no limitations to where these women will go to fight each other.
1: Oh no. Miss, Miss Garrett picks up a gingerbread house and throws it at her. They're kicking each other, throwing each other against the wall. She bashes Miss Garrett in the face with a, with a mannequin arm, like you said. And then I love Miss Garrett's like, you've, you've really done and pissed me off now. As she gets up, uh, uh, fucking as she's going to hit Mrs. Garrett with the mannequin arm again because she's like, this is for my mother. Of course, Jamie comes and grabs her. And Mrs. Garrett's like, take her to the, what she called the timeout room. Take her to the timeout room. And they, the Santa drags uh, Rachel up the stairs to the timeout room, which is like one of the little rooms off of the bedroom. Puts her in a cage, puts her in the timeout cage. Meanwhile, Cody has been discovered in his hiding place, apparently, because he's tied to a table.
0: Yes, and there's this whole little moment where she basically has to watch from this cage as he pleads for his life because he has no way of defending himself. And I like these little moments where you can kind of see Rachel... It's a strong acting moment from her, uh, especially with as you see what kind of happens to him as the scene unfolds. You see some really great facial acting from her. I think this is like one of her strongest moments in the film. But when this moment, you've got Jamie come in with a bag that he hands to his mother. Yeah, because she's like,
1: Jamie, don't you have something for mommy? And he has his little Santa bag. Yes, and
0: what is it, Roger? It's a literally a fucking bag of dicks,
1: and that goddamn pink dildo. It's a bag of severed penises of various shapes and sizes and, go- and colors. I do like that; they're diverse to throw some, to throw enough variety in there. Yeah. And a
0: pink dildo and a pink dildo. Yeah, and Mrs. Garrett even says she acknowledges the shapes and sizes, and she says it's it's good to have options. Uh, but Jamie makes it clear that he wants
1: Cody's. You're not the only one. <laughs> You're not the only one, Jamie. I mean,
0: <laughs> girl, I hear it. You and me both, sister.
1: Yeah, so he wants Jamie's or he wants Cody's penis because Miss Garrett's like, which one do you want? He like points to Cody. So Miss Garrett's like, oh, Jamie, go fetch me my surgical thing from my closet. In this moment, you know, Cody knows what's about to happen. He's like, his face goes, oh, fuck. But this is the moment that basically Miss Garrett goes over to Rachel and tells her That she is going to, tonight, do what her husband tried to do. And that is to put Jamie out of her misery.
0: She even says in this moment, Troy, and I find it kind of heartbreaking. She says, Jamie, I know Jamie is, in fact, crazy. I know Jamie's crazy. I plan on killing her myself. And it's like, oh, my God, bitch. All of this. You caused all of this shit.
1: Yep yep we also find out though that Rachel is actually the daughter of Mrs. Garrett's husband Mrs. Garrett's husband got Rachel's mom pregnant and it was around the same time that Ms Garrett got pregnant with Jamie and Ms Garretts never got over the fact that the Rachel's mother got to have a girl that she desperately... Miss Garrett desperately wanted she got stuck with a boy so she's gonna kill Jamie and then basically take Rachel as her daughter and they're gonna live happily ever after
0: oh and she's also going to take the credit of killing her escaped mental patient child to make her a sort of hero she's like concocted this plan in her head that she is gonna come out not only like is she gonna be scot-free of all any you know Criminal problems that I would suspect she'd be accused of. She's convinced that she's going to come out looking good in this situation, that she's going to come out as the hero, regardless of keeping Rachel alive. Like, I mean, I'm sorry, but is Rachel going to be without vocal cords at this point? She will be telling everybody that Mrs. Garrett is the problem, is she not? You would think.
1: I mean, her, she. I think she's just planning on keeping Rachel in this cage up in the attic, right? I don't know. Hidden away from everybody. Jamie comes back in with the doll, which I thought was kind of touching. And But Miss Garrett says she needs to leave to have a private talk with Jamie in the living room. And as they're leaving, Miss Garrett's like, oh, but I forgot something. And at this moment, she basically takes the clippers and stabs Cody and kills him. Yeah.
0: It's a bummer because he's fucking hot.
1: It's a bummer, Cody. Like I said, poor Cody didn't have much to do in this film. Like you could have eliminated his character altogether, and it wouldn't have made a difference. It was such—it's kind of a pointless uh, and you know disappointing ending to to this character. I really wanted more of him and Rachel's dynamic, and you, you don't get that.
0: But I guess it's maybe a good thing
1: considering how Rachel ends up here in a few minutes.
0: Uh, I think that they should have amplified this scene by you know all the dudes get their dicks cut off and unfortunately with with him you just see the shears go down into him and he spits out blood and that's it i think he should have got his dick cut off but when they did it it should have cut back and it should have been just like a foot long like man <laughs> like, a, like, <laughs> like an abnormally large penis falling to the ground like just gigantic. With huge balls. Um, But that aside, I love that um, Mrs. Garrett, after she stabs him, she has like an orgasmic response to it. She is so affected by, positively, she loves it, um, by stabbing him and, you know, stabbing this man. And she's just got the blood all over her and she's just like, oh, God, oh, yes, oh, like she's in ecstasy
1: so Miss Garrett takes Jamie downstairs and in front of the Christmas tree says, you no longer belong in this world. And you know, all my, all I did was try to protect you. And, and as this whole time, Jamie's just playing with this doll. And then Miss Garrett very coldly says, I only wanted to protect you. And I, you know, you're, you're, but you're still just a dickless man and there ain't nothing worse. There ain't
0: nothing worse than that. Oh, I thought we were going to say it. We should have. And there ain't nothing worse than that. <laughs> worse than that. No, god. Right. No.
1: She stabs him in the back.
0: <laughs> oh, my God. This, You know what? Kudos to this film for making me feel something at this point. Because I'm going to say it, Troy. I hate this broad. Oh, my God. She's just vile. And the fact that this character that has gone throughout this whole movie killing so many people, the fact that they managed to make me feel differently towards him... Sorry for him. That that takes some skill. That takes some some skill on the director's part. So good on him for having had the artistry of manipulating my feelings in such a way. Because this is a serial murderer. But I still felt this. I still, I felt sad. I felt wronged for him.
1: Well, because it's not, you know, it wasn't necessarily his doing. But, you know, you do get stuff revealed. Now we know why the fascination with cutting off dicks. You know, I mean, it all makes sense. But this poor child didn't have a chance with this mother. You know what I mean? So she stabs him in the back. And as she's getting ready to like cut his throat, he gets the best of her. And there is a nice little fight sequence, struggle sequence between mother and son. He's throwing her up against the wall, throwing her on the couch, throwing her on the floor. She's you know, trying to fight back the best she can uh, until he finally overcomes her and gets her on the ground and starts choking her relentlessly choking her she's reaching for the knife that's you know slightly out of reach when all of a sudden we see that ugly high heel
0: and like i may hate that loafer shoe but i fucking love that this bitch just struts up in there in the middle of old girl getting choked out on the floor by her child she stomps down on that fucking knife she yanks it up she sits down on the couch in that beautiful blue dress and she crosses her leg like the boss ass bitch that she is and she proceeds to watch she watches as Jamie chokes his mother to death i love it yeah and it's not a quick it's not a quick choking
1: death either you know a lot of times in the films choking deaths last like 10 seconds and you're like yeah there's no way that person would be dead that quick this one's pretty long And he's choking pretty hard and she's struggling until she finally, she finally dies.
0: Well, and as she's dying, she starts to like hallucinate and all of the dolls and mannequins that like adorn her house, like gather in around Jamie. Cause you know, you see the perspective of Jamie, just looking down at her and you see all these mannequins and dolls just kind of like bobbling around Jamie and like whispering things and saying things as she's like taking her last gasps. And dies, and it's it's very trippy, it's a very unique way to end it, but it's it's very much uh it very much makes sense with the character because she's filled her life with all of this imagery uh and I thought it was a really cool way to end it. it is it is,
1: and what's even cooler is that now Rachel gets up, kneels next to Jamie, and says, "Let's bury this bitch out back
0: I want Troy, I want so much to." have an issue with this ending because this killer has killed so many fucking people. But I honestly love this ending. I love that even though Jamie even killed Rachel's best friends, she still sees the humanity in this situation, uh, and sees how wronged both of them were. And, um, manages to i don't want to say look past it i'm sure that jamie will probably be executed or something horrible i don't know but um i mean in this moment she's like no 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 the real villain here the real villain here is mrs garrett jamie was just a pawn jamie was just destroyed mentally destroyed by this woman and any issues that have sprung forth from that fall back on her and the horrible things that she did to this child and i mean i gotta say troy this does lead into one of my favorite segments of dark Knight of the podcast is it or is it not offensive our big question that we like to end on many of these you know quote-unquote transphobic horror offerings um what what do you say about this film do you take this as even a again we've we've asked this question before with multiple titles Is this a transphobic piece of cinema? Is this even touching on that material? Is there a reason for LGBTQ community members to be offended by this piece? What are your thoughts on this film?
1: Oh, absolutely not. And luckily, I've never heard anything like that brought up about this film. It could be because maybe this film isn't as well-known as some of the other ones. But A, the killer in this film is not trans. So (laughs) that right there puts that argument to rest, I think. I mean, the killer in this film, literally as an infant, had its genitalia chopped off by its mother and was being raised as a female. And obviously, obviously, that was not what this person wanted, because what happens is this whole film is that he's going around cutting penises off of men because he wants one of his own to be, it seems like, to be reattached, so this this killer has no desire to live as a female. It was his mother that was the, the whole cause of that. Like this child would have not grown up to be trans or would not have cut off its own penis. So, yeah, I don't I don't even see this film touching on that theme at all. It, it really is not even that it doesn't even I don't think it even belongs in that sort of genre of slashers, in
0: my opinion. But you know somebody will uh, will inevitably take it. Maybe there, I'm eventually,
1: sure. but I mean, then they need to they need to rewatch it and reevaluate what they uh, what they then they to me. If you look at this fo- film and think it's transphobic, then you yourself have no understanding of what trans means. That's right. on you, right? That's no. not on this film.
0: This is another example of of I would say of gender dysphoria of of someone being forced to live one way, identifying another way, and the mental distress that comes from it. I will say that we have touched on an array of movies that delve into this, and there's plenty more. Um, And I I will say that I wouldn't have an issue if this was an explanation that I didn't see again for a while from new cinema, (laughs) like from new impending films. Like, okay, there are plenty of movies that have had this as an explanation for the reason as to why A Killer Kills. Um, it's it's always interesting and intriguing to delve in and explore it, but it's more than anything. It's just becoming something that it's lost its shock factor and it's lost. It's like avant-garde unique trait, maybe because I'm just watching so many of them, but God, a lot of movies fall back on this. How many have we reviewed in the last three months that have the same kind of concept in the last, in the last month with, um, when we reviewed, um, what is the one that we reviewed with Jay? Unhinged unhinged very very similar concept by choice in that case but not willingly not happy happily that character was living an alternate life and it was the aftermath that comes from it so i guess i'm more saying just from creative standpoints okay we've seen plenty of people have their sexuality fucked with i'm sure there's other reasons people can be killing out there these days
1: yeah yeah i agree um but i mean i feel like this film This film, to me, is like a mashup of so many 80s slasher films. I see so many elements of so many different 80s slasher films in this film. I see The Burning, obviously. I see Sleepaway Camp, obviously. I see uh, Butcher Baker Nightmare Maker. I see um, Friday the 13th. I mean, there's so many. Fil- so I feel like the director Todd and the writer Todd Nunes knew exactly what he was doing when he when he wrote the script. There's so it's such like a hodgepodge of all of these influence in- influential 80s slasher films that influenced him as a filmmaker, kind of rolled up into one film. Obviously, Black Christmas. So I don't see that as like his like main motivating focus of the film. It's it's an element of the film, obviously, that's used to drive the plot and maybe make the plot a little bit shocking but uh, yeah i don't see it as like like a trans anything really i i don't know my opinion that we have to do acknowledge the final shot of the film is the jamie finally takes off his santa mask mary or not mary uh Rachel gets the mask and throws it outside and it lands on some Christmas lights. And we get this like eerie final shot of these like Christmas lights glowing through the mask's eyes. And then the credits roll.
0: Yeah. It very much recreates the very first shot of when the kids knock the mask off to begin with. It fell because both times it falls atop Christmas lights and it makes a glow, this kind of reddish color. Um Yeah. I mean like, man, I'm going to say if uh, beyond that being a, a great holiday slasher, I've got to say that this probably stands out in my mind as one of the best independent slashers, period, of the last 20 years.
1: I agree. And I I was going to say something. We, we uh, We reviewed Terrifier. That was one of our first episodes that we did for Patreon. So if you want to hear our thoughts on Terrifier, it's one of our first episodes on Patreon. Go to our Patreon page, subscribe. You can hear it. I know that that film gets a lot of praise and a lot of love uh mainly because Art the Clown is a villain, right People think Art the Clown is such a creepy, relentless villain he is I'm not saying that he is not Art the Clown makes that movie by far. take Art the Clown out of that movie and it's not that good of a movie this film this villain this killer Santa Jamie needs to have that same like passion and recognition from horror fans because to me this Jamie killer is just as fucking creepy just as fucking relentless if not more and I don't understand like and this came out in 2015 terrifier was what 2017 Uh, And I hate to, I'm not really comparing the two films. I mean, there's a lot of similarities. They're definitely both 80s slasher homages. One takes place on Halloween. This one takes place on Christmas. You have a very distinct type of character in, in Terrifier. You have a very distinct type of character in this one. I feel like this film should be getting the attention that Terrifier did, if not more, because honestly, in my opinion, I think this is a better film.
0: I agree on that statement.
1: Cinematography-wise, character-wise, acting-wise, story-wise, Terrifier doesn't really even have a fucking story. This has a very layered story to it. So I'm wondering, you know, I just it's, it's always curious to me, like what films end up getting attention and focus? Like, you know, Terrifier... There's Terrifier 2 coming out that raised tons of money on Indiegogo. I would love to see an all through the house too. I need to see a continuation of the story between the killer Santa, Jamie and what happens with Rachel. But I'm just saying that's one comparison. I picked on terrifier because it's an easy one to pick on because people love that movie. But I feel like this one has virtually all of the same elements. This is just as, I mean the, the gore in this film top notch. Yeah. We don't get a, we don't get a gruesome girl being sawed in half through a vagina. If you're into that, but everything else about this film, to me, rivals Terrifier, in my opinion.
0: Yeah. Oh, 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 Troy. I mean, same page. Um, Likeability of the cast, I would say this one excels. Um uh, Just the overall energy and tone that they're going for. It appeals more to me than something like a Terrifier, which I see more as just a torture porn. This is gory, but it, it it is violence with, it's it's tied together. Each kill is serving some sort of a purpose. Even the ones that were like the scenes that we talked about that seemed like excess or over the top, there was still a through story there connecting them. We don't necessarily feel they're needed, but there's still a through story.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, we spent a lot of time harping on the, the, the lesbian couple and how that could have been cut out, which it very much could have, but it still comes into play at the end because you see the pink dildo in the bag. Of penises, So it's kind of a a dark humor that runs that that's threaded through the film. You know, I mean, this film is meticulously crafted. Like we mentioned, the attention to detail is stunning. So I'm wondering, I mean, I feel like this killer Santa should be just as iconic as as Art the Clown or some of our other slasher villains of the last 10 or 20 years, because it's he's brutal, relentless, no holds bar, gets the job done. But at the end of the day, yeah, I, 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 you know, nitpick stuff aside that we discussed, negatives aside, which I don't think we really had much negative to say about this film. But, you know, no film's perfect, but I thoroughly enjoy this film. It is has quickly become one of probably my top five favorite holiday themed slasher flicks. I adore it. I don't get bored watching it. I can watch it over and over again and still find the same excitement that I found the first time watching it. I just find it. I just, I don't know. There's something about this film. It's charming. The everything about it just works perfectly in my opinion for, for such a low budget indie film. It really needs uh, to be more well-known. So like I said, I'm really glad we chose this as our episode.
0: Oh yeah. I, um, I, I, second everything you just said regarding the desire to make this a franchise my god like I would get me in it get me in this fucking sequel uh, that would be that would make my fucking year well uh, you need to play the a neighbor with you know ro-
1: curling rollers in her hair going out in a know. wheelchair
0: um, but, but <laughs> um, I think my really big thing I want to celebrate about this film more so than anything is just the indiness shines through and it wasn't scared of it. It embraced it and it ran with it. And even in some of the things that we may have slammed on or gotten down on or not necessarily agreed with, you know, Troy, you and I as indie filmmakers have had plenty of people disagree with choices we made, but we we had a vision that we followed through with. We saw it to completion and, you know, we've made our features and we got them out there. Todd had a very clear vision. I mean, from beginning to end, this film, you know, this fucker knew exactly what he wanted and not every decision may be something I absolutely love, but as a complete feature, I love it. I love what he offered to the genre. I love his artistic influences. I want to see him work with a bigger budget. I want to see him... You know, work uh, with uh, the the bigger talents, bigger names. I want to see all of these things happen for him, much like is happening for Terrifier. Exactly, completely. I agree with you 110. This movie deserves that love and recognition. Um, and even in the things that we did critique, and you know, we just give blunt, honest reviews. Every film we've reviewed, we've slammed on a little bit. You know, I mean. Oh yeah, we
1: even—I mean, we we we, we reviewed Nine of the Demons* with Kathy Podwell and on the show, and we even we weren't all crazy crazy about that either. I mean, if there's problematic things about the film or things that we don't necessarily like or agree with, we're going to bring them up. So
0: the good outweighs the bad. I agree so much in this. I mean, like, the, oh, yeah. there's very few issues I have with this film, but there's much I want to celebrate about it. And uh, listeners, if you're someone who randomly. Chose to listen to this before seeing it. Um, shame on you, but now it's your job to go fucking watch it. Make sure other indie fans do as well.
1: Yes, watch the film. Uh, give Todd Nunes a bigger budget. I want to see what's next from him, and I'd love to see a sequel to All Through the House. I would love that, but I'm just waiting on on what's next for him. He she, he is a director that I would love to, to see more from. He's... Ex- yeah, just based on this this film and the short that this film is based off, if of, you can tell this guy has some real talent and a real love and appreciation for the genre, much like the, you know, Damien Leone, who directed Terrifier, right? You can definitely tell he has
0: a great love for the genre. Um, What a, a unique way to end uh, this episode, Troy. Is that a tornado siren I hear in the distance? <laughs>
1: It is. We are. We are experiencing. We are going to experience eighty mile an hour winds here. So we should wrap this up because I doubt you guys want to hear. Um, oh God! A siren for the next.
0: Well, Troy, don't let this blow you off to Oz. Oh, my God.
1: <laughs> no. Okay. So real quick, guys, our next episode is going to be for our fiftieth episode is going to be the Christmas classic, controversial Silent Night, Deadly Yay. Night. Yay! Yay! Oh, sorry, guys. No,
0: guys. Troy is experiencing what we call technical difficulties and we and
1: we're okay so real quick and we're covering silent night deadly night 2 this week for our t- uh, patreon episode so yes join our patreon leave us a five-star review and with that i'm going to say good night before i get blown away and you never hear another episode
0: with me again all right listeners we love you have a wonderful week and we'll see you for christmas all right guys thank you for tuning in until next
1: week